Comic Timing is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 169 of Comic Timing, a comics podcast voted to the average comic book fan from the average comic book fan. Join us, Brent Casino, rotating panel of guests, and myself, Ian Levison, discuss whatever comes to mind, time after time, here on Comic Timing. Time to talk some Daredevil on this episode, as well as some movie news, and we'll get into a little bit of convergence as well with some returning guests. Hey, the rotating panel doesn't lie for once. Here now, Comic Timing. Hey there, folks. My name is Ian Levisine, and welcome to episode 169 of Comic Timing. One day before I'm going to see Avengers Age of Ultron for the first time is when this episode is being recorded. So uh, more than likely, the next episode you get will be our Age of Ultron review, uh, probably about a week or so after the movie has been out in theaters. We'll see if uh, Mr. Casina can get his butt to a theater uh, in time to get to get uh- that done. Ooh. I have a babysitter lined up for Saturday. Fantastic. Good. So maybe you, maybe you can even get some free comic book day in if you want to. Yeah, I, I already told Amanda that's my mission Sunday nice. or Saturday. Nice. She has to leave me alone for at least two hours to go out and do that. <laughs> leave me alone. I'm going to go comics. <laughs> you watched the baby. Damn right. So returning guests galore on this episode. Uh, Mr. Donovan Morgan Grant comes back to comic timing for the first time, I believe, since Iron Man 3. Donovan, what's what's going on? Hey, thank you for inviting me back. How you guys doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. It's a nice set. It's actually the warmest it's been uh, in New York probably since last spring today. It's uh, about 75 degrees. Have you guys got a lot of rain up there? Uh, eh, not exactly rain, just more up and down temperature. So that's that's kind of the most annoying part of the past couple of weeks. Yeah, very cool, very cool. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad there's no, like I said before, like glad that there's no salty feelings over Iron Man three. And uh, let's talk about something that we all probably like. Yeah, and and we're glad that there's no salty feelings over Brent being salty about uh, your your comments on the Facebook page from from the from that movie episode. <laughs> Avengers 2, The Return of Japan. Yes. I thought it was funny. I thought it was funny, too. Brent just doesn't have a sense of humor. And and talk about ghosts of a future past. Mr. Chris Johnson return, returning to comic timing. Chris! Ian! <laughs> and we can hear you on a clearer microphone. Yes, you can. It's amazing. What's what's going on, man? Uh, not a whole lot. Same old, same old? A little bit different, but uh, <laughs> what are you, what nothing are you, too major. What are you up to these days? What, what are you What are you doing? Uh, well, right now I'm uh, finishing a master's degree in uh, film studies. Nice, of course you are. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> it seems seems to be right up your alley, so it doesn't surprise anyone. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's not like I'm posting my monthly film viewing on my facebook page no, <laughs> that'd no. be that'd be too on the nose no of course not or twitter or or your <laughs> your your snarky snide uh, uh comic book guy comments on on uh, latest uh, movies that have come out no of course not oh i totally don't do that last one at all <laughs> not at all age of ultron more like age of shit <laughs> I hope I don't see that next month. Yeah, I hope month. I hope I hope not either. I hope not either. Hey, reviews have been so uh, not exactly the, as uh, cool as they as they've uh, come in for for previous uh, Marvel movies, but I'm uh, I'm still looking forward to it. We'll see how it turns out. But I still think it'll be great. I think I still think it'll be great too. It's just I think it's it's definitely uh suffering from perhaps too many cooks syndrome and I'll know for I'll know for certain uh, come tomorrow night. Like you know, it. one thing I, I just before we move on, mm-hmm. I just wish Joss Whedon would shut the hell up. <laughs> like, just go out and talk about your movie. Yeah. Quit talking about 
how you want to do a DC film or how the movie people are mad at the TV people because Agent Coulson's not dead and, you know, all these different things. Just shut the fuck up and promote your movie. Might, might, also, might also be a good idea for the actors to shut the hell up, but that's uh, that's another story for another <laughs> Evans. <laughs> I, I want him to open up some more about his dealings with Marvel Studios. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Go ahead. Well, yeah, well, well, you know what? When we get into the movie talk, we'll, we'll talk more about that. So that, that'll we'll, we'll do all of that because I think we're also going to put a little bit of uh, of rights talks in there as well. Since, oh yeah, yeah. Since since mm-hmm. that uh, since that came up uh, in in earnest on Twitter earlier, and I think that would be a good place to do it here. But before we do all that, as usual, we're sponsored by DCBS Discount Comic Book Service at DCBService.com. Also, as usual, we're doing this at the end of a month, so I'm not going to give you any of their current deals, but I will let you know that uh, there are uh, bundles out the wazoo. Usually at the site, I'm sure there'll be a new Secret Wars bundle coming pretty soon. Plus, uh, there'll probably be another DC bundle uh, for the uh, the new titles that have been launched. So expect those. The bundles are usually 50% off and also 40% off of uh, Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse single issues. And 50% off of Marvel and DC hardcovers and trades. All at Discount Comic Book Service. And use their uh, Comixology storefront to save you a little further on your monthly purchase at DCBS, Discount Comic Book Service, dcbservice.com. We thank them for their sponsorship. So, yeah, we'll start off with Daredevil, since that's the, uh, I guess, the probably the oldest thing we'll be talking about uh, all episode here. But mind you, old is like, you know, what, three or four weeks old. And Netflix, for that, that's an eternity. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it took me a little while to watch all 13 episodes. I was savoring them a little bit, uh, trying not to do too much of a binge process to it. But uh, I'll start off with, uh, with Brent first on your initial thoughts on the series. Well, uh, like House of Cards... What was it, like the month before, two months before, mm-hmm. uh, I ran right through it in one day. Luckily for me, it came on my, uh, my f- every other Friday off, House of Cards and Daredevil. So it was baby watch, or baby watch day, so I was <laughs> watching the baby. She was playing with toys, and I was watching Daredevil and or House of Cards. So I greatly enjoyed it, and I was able to finish it the next day. So wow, jeez. With my schedule and all the stuff we have going on, that's about all the time I could commit to it, so... Hey, well, that's like uh, I'm Austin, who's been on a couple episodes of Comic Timing uh, when when I've been recording here in person. Actually, took the day off from work so he could watch at least like six episodes in one day, and I think he managed to do that and then finished it uh, over the next week. So that that uh, that shows devotion right there. But you you yeah. finished it all all in one chunk, Ben? Uh, no, I I got through I think uh, episode eight. Okay. You know, stopped for dinner and to hang out with Amanda and stuff, okay. and then after they went to bed continued on and got to like episode eight and that's why i had four left the next day and then uh, everybody's completed the series right at this point uh, everybody on this call yep good okay cool yeah and then so spoilers if you have not completed the series you may want to just skip ahead and (laughs) so if you haven't read you you may you may want to come back so you can better enjoy the show Sorry to steal a little raging bullets uh, thunder there since i've actually been listening to their episodes for the first time in a while go ahead when the Ben Urich died, I was like, "Damn it! Now I have to finish it." Or yeah. no, not that. When she shot the uh, Wesley, Wesley guy, mm. I was like, "All right, I have to finish this now." This got really interesting. I mean, it was pretty good before, but um, as a whole, it was very, a very well done uh, series. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. However, compared to Netflix's other offerings, which I have watched most of, I mean, I've seen all the House of Cards seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and Amanda watched um, Orange Is the New Black. We watched the Kimmy Schmitz show, mm-hmm. which was fun. It's not, you know, narratively like you have to watch it right away. Yeah. 
like uh, some of these other shows. But Daredevil, I think, took a while to get going. I mean, the first couple episodes mm. were good. The middle was the weakest part of it, I think, for me. And then by the end, when you know people started dying and things like that, that's where it got <laughs> a lot more fun to watch. It had, it had a little bit of a slow build for me as well, uh, Brent. Uh, although I-, I actually thought that uh, the first... I'd say about the first two or three episodes, uh, it didn't, it, it hadn't quite grabbed me yet. But then uh, after that, as we delved further into the whole Kingpin story and more of uh, of Matt's interactions with the uh, the other cast members, um, it it uh, it opened up a little bit more for me. But I, I couldn't binge it. Like I, I think I've learned, I'm really not that much of a binger when it comes to these shows. Like the most I can really watch are two or three episodes in a sitting. I mean, do you define binging as like like just nonstop until it's done, or like I, a really I, concentrated sitting? I would consider binging finishing it all in like a two day period. You know, like like I did. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like something similar to what Brent did. Like where you sit down and you watch like eight episodes straight, and then you get up the next day and you watch the rest. If you're done with it before five days, I consider that a binge. Okay, that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, for me, uh, the, close, the 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 only series that I've actually binged in recent memory is Orphan Black. And that's because we had watched like two or three episodes of that first season. And then by the time we we got back to it, like we literally just burned through like the rest of that 10 episode season one and all of season two in about three days. Well, yeah, well, Orphan Black gets when it gets going, it really gets going. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and this show as well, like it, it got better as it went on. Just a little bit of a slow build for me. Um, uh, Chris, what about you, man? Uh, well, I uh, finished it off, and I think across the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, mm-hmm. so in like three uh, blocks. And it was a slow burn for me, too. Like, I, I remember, because uh, I didn't start it until late on Friday, so I got to see some reactions from people who had taken the day off of work mm-hmm. uh, and stuff to, to see how it had gone. And like by episode two, there are people just raving uh, about it. And I certainly liked it. Uh, for the first couple episodes, but I didn't really get too much uh, into the hype of it mm-hmm. um, until about episode six, uh, which might just be because I'm a sucker for episodes with heroes and villains trapped together in <laughs> confined spaces. Yeah. And then with episode seven, we got to see an old man tell a kid he was an idiot, uh, which is always fun. <laughs> oh, you mean you mean the Alfred Bruce uh, story? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then episode eight uh, kept it going with uh, the director showing us how much he loved Hannibal, which I love Hannibal. Yeah. Uh, So I enjoyed that. And then episode nine is the first episode of the show I'd call truly great. Hell yeah. uh, In it. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, it started right off in media res with Daredevil fighting a member of the hand. Mm -hmm. And there was no, like, introduction, uh, like, People who were just watching the show who had no like real history with Daredevil would see him just fighting a ninja and that would pro- and getting cut up as hell by a ninja. Yeah. Uh, and then you know fans of the comics would identify it as a member of the Hand. Yeah. And there was a whole bunch of other stuff like great uh, dialogue with the priest and that fight at the end with Fisk and it just had like everything. And I think from that point on to the end, it just kept going. I made the mistake with that ninth episode. I actually had to rewatch a whole bunch of it because I was watching it late at night. I, I oh. it, it, it didn't matter whether or not it was a good episode or not. I dozed off like halfway through, so like I only remembered about half of it. So, mm. <laughs> so that uh, that Saturday when uh, when Chris and I went to sat, sit back down to watch more of it, we watched episode ten, and then I actually went back and rewatched episode nine just to 
uh, make sure that I didn't miss anything uh, in the in the long run because I was like, wait a minute, when did when did Foggy find out what he did? And like, all right, oh right, that was at the very end of the episode. Okay, <laughs> that episode with him and Foggy, like when Foggy found out what the hell was going on, was one of the be- one of the best episodes I've ever seen. Yeah, not just with Daredevil, but you know any any story like that. Um, totally. You know, anytime uh, a sidekick or a supporting character finds out what's going on, what's really going on, a lot of times it's not handled that well. Yeah. Um, and I, th- I found his reactions very believable instead of uh, contrived and, and you know, serve, you know it's serving the narrative, so to speak, you know, because they want to get him in the costume so fast. Right. Uh, right. I, f- I felt like this was a, a real world, you know, again, with everything else that Marvel's been doing, it feels very real world. Uh, especially with Daredevil. Well, and I, I love how he's like, you know, what, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> yeah, that was, that, was, that was good how it got into, like, the, the whole personal aspect of, you know, Matt's abilities. Because to Foggy, like, he thinks suddenly if he's, you know, beating up muggers every night, then he must actually be not, you know, he's been faking his blindness on him. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, just a really personal aspect of that whole relationship that they're able to, to delve, delve into. And that really strengthen the whole reveal story that they told yeah right fire we get it everything looks like fire okay <laughs> terrific uh, uh, donovan let me get your your general thoughts on the series because then i gotta talk about foggy for the next 15 minutes because holy shit is he awesome <laughs> oh yes you mean fulton reed from the mighty ducks fuck yeah <laughs> you, mean, you, you mean the owl <laughs> you mean the silent guy from uh the mockingjay Oh God! <laughs> I heard about that too. I didn't see that movie, but I heard about that. <laughs> I, I I went back and I looked at his entire IMDb after this, and I'm like, oh my God, he's been in way more things than I thought he was. But go ahead, Donovan. What do you what do you think? Um, I was pretty hyped for this show. Uh, Daredevil is like a top five favorite of mine, and um, just hearing good things about it, like I, my brother and I were like really hyped. And when it came out, I started watching it like at 10 a.m. Friday, and texted my brother because he was at work, and then I had to go to work, and like I finished it about 72 hours about you know sunday morning mm-hmm. i was really into it i thought the first two episodes were terrific i think i was I, the hype kind of carried me through some of the slower episodes i still really liked it but my excitement kind of you know went up and down for a bit i still think it was good throughout but like the part where like he was in the the building with like the russian guy it was good it was as on edge awesome as the first episodes were but i agree by episode nine episode episodes nine and ten for me were like uh like the best they were terrific just like a one-two punch and uh it was just like a roller coaster right to the end and no i, I really enjoy this i think that this, this is easy in the conversation for like the best marvel character adaptation in the marvel cinematic universe is easily comparable to like iron man or cap or anything you want to bring up well uh what, what do you say to those people who have have made the comments that this show only works the way it does I mean, and they've said this, this way about house of cards and stuff like that too like it only works the way it does because you're able to watch it in a short period of time that if you were to wait the the weeks in between that it, it you perhaps you would notice the flaws a little bit more than you do if you you know try to take it all in, in one in one gulp um i think it's possible i don't know if people can say that without actually experiencing that so that kind of seems like a, a criticism thrown out just to have people just to for people so they, they can talk right I mean, it's possible, but, like, I don't think of at any point that I disliked the show or was bored or, you know, just kind of finished it to finish. I was still down for it, so... Mm-hmm. And I, again, I didn't watch 1 through 13 straight. Yeah. I did come back after a few hours, so... I think it's comparable to The Flash, which I also really enjoy, which is week to week, mm-hmm. in that, like, you know, those two shows are very different, and those are also 
uh, the way they sh- where, where you see them from week to week or all at once or different ways. I think quality is relative. I think that like that may be a thing, but I don't think that's why. That, that sounds like something people would say just to say it's not that good, yeah, you know? Right. So I don't know. Brent, Chris, any thoughts? Uh, well, it it's clearly seems to be a, a show that's not meant to be watched that way, mm-hmm. uh, which they kind of declare like in the second episode, which impressed me early on. Because they could have easily made it be like, you know, this week Foggy and Matt have this case, and this week Foggy and Matt are trying this case. Yeah. Uh, but like right from that second episode where they spend most of the episode, you know, with Matt um, in Claire's apartment getting patched up, mm-hmm. instead, and you know, spending basically the whole episode while Matt, and Fo- while Foggy and Karen are getting drunk, <laughs> um, and, and basically establishing right away that they're not going to, you know, try to make this cohere to. Uh, an episode by episode formula and letting the story progress over the whole uh, 13 episodes. So I'd be interested to hear from somebody who watched, who tried to watch it, you know, an episode, like space it out a lot more than just like over a weekend, like, like I did or other people did. Brent. Um, I definitely think that when you binge watch things, you definitely can see the flaws more mm-hmm. than if you wa- watched it spaced out. So I, I disagree with any of that. And I, I've seen a lot of stuff on the internet that, you know, as this is coming out and people are starting to talk more and more about Daredevil, apparently it's one of the the most successful things for for Netflix Yeah, based uh, based off of a study of a couple people. But that was only on, uh, you know, it was a limited number of people and it was only through their phone and their web browser. And I was like, who watches Netflix on your phone, iPad, or web browser? <laughs> <laughs> when we have Roku and Xbox and PlayStation and web-enabled TVs and stuff, so that was a little web browser. You know, not quite accurate. Web browser makes a little bit of sense though, because there are a lot, there are people that do watch it by connecting their uh, computer to their TV via HDMI. Yeah. You know. Okay. So, yeah. I definitely think that you can see the flaws if you watch something, you know, in a in a in a quick span. Like, you know, I want to rewatch Lost on Netflix and stuff like that, but I'm afraid that. When me and Amanda do that, you know, which usually we can binge watch stuff more easily in the summer because there's nothing on Hulu from networks and stuff, um, that it will be like, this is not as good as we remember it because we're watching two, three, four in a row Hmm. in a night. And I remember watching season one of Lost that way. Like, I started in season two, borrowed my friend's DVD for season one and binged that in a weekend, all the DVDs back in college. And I remember being like, this show is great, but it, you know... It got a little tiring after a while, that kind of show, because it was made for week-to-week viewing. Whereas I think with these Netflix shows, I think you're going to see with the uh, with the other ones as we keep going, uh, Jessica Jones is up next, and I think in the fall, and then, uh, you know, I guess Luke I Cage. thought Iron Fist and Luke Cage were going to be separate or one show, but apparently they're two different shows. They are two different shows, yeah. I guess Iron Fist can thank Ed Brubaker and... Uh, Matt Fraction for that because <laughs> before oh, yes. them his he would not be un- enough to have his own show. Yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll I'll give you that, but uh, I also wouldn't be surprised if uh, Iron Fist, just like Luke Cage, shows up in the Luke Cage show in one way or the other. But then we get more of a an origin story, as it were, in the uh, in the Luke, in the Iron Fist show. Right. Yeah. But there are people that have been, you know, like shouting from the rooftops like, yeah, man, you know, they should take Daredevil as a perfect example of like how to do a show and, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, you know, why can't that be as good as this? And I say to them that they're they're completely different animals. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not perfect. And like I 
fucking know that. We all do. I mean, come on, please. Sitting there watching it, you know, one week you'll you'll find an episode that that really grabs you. The next week you'll find one that's that's kind of walls a little bit and and is a little more dull. But that's the difference between you know g- general network television and the story that they're trying to tell on Agent on Agents of Shield versus a essentially someone that knows how long their story is going to go before they they even get to recording it. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is long form. Daredevil knew it was going to be 13 episodes and that there might be another season after that, but there'd be at least, you know, a, a, a year's wait until we got that and possibly even more. So let's tell a complete story now. You know, like, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has to grab you enough to continue on and, uh, you know, perhaps give you clues as to what's going on, but still lead you, if you know what I mean. I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is meant to be a show, whereas this one, because of the Netflix format, like, they're not going to give Daredevil, they're not giving Daredevil a movie, but, like, it essentially watches like a movie. Right, a 13-episode so, movie, essentially. Yeah, they really go for that effect. So I, th- I think that, like, you know, character dictates form, I suppose, and, like, this is one of those times where, you know, you can't look at one thing and say, why don't they do that? Because the character kind of dictates how they do it a certain way anyway. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, well, come on. I mean, like that, what was it, episode two that had that amazing fight scene? Uh, the uh, the one-shot oh, yeah. the one shot fight scene, which was one shot and was done with multiple stunt doubles to, yep. to, to make that happen. And, you know, you'd never see that on network television, but you know what? I don't think it would even work on network television. Like, you'd have you'd, you'd probably have people, uh, you know, wondering exactly why this is taking so long to get to, to get to the next scene you don't you don't have, yeah you don't have that problem with uh with, with a netflix show but you know that's that's just my opinion on that let's talk characters let's let's talk uh, who, who your favorite character on the show uh was uh, uh chris oh uh, well um i'd have to you know go with charlie cox mm. uh he impressed me the most uh i thought that he made a great uh matt murdoch uh, first of all, especially with um, just his dryness mm-hmm. uh, interacting with everybody, uh, and he played off the uh, the mentions that he's blind uh, that they periodically gave him very well. Yeah. And even when he was uh, running around in, in the mask, because uh, he because uh, in some of the conversation that came up around around that fight scene, he mentioned how he wanted to be in as many of the the stunt sequences as possible. Mm-hmm. And these stunt doubles for him for some of the more risky stuff, but he also got in there uh, as well. And uh, I thought he was—he carried off the uh, riffing on the Christian Bale Batman a lot better than, say, Arrow has done. <laughs> um, and you know, and I had—I don't think I had seen him in anything uh, before this. He was in uh, Warwalk Empire, and uh, and he he did a good job uh, in that. Uh, he he played one of uh, Nucky's right hands for about a season or two. Yeah, I've got a couple of seasons of that that I still need to to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I thought he was great. Uh, I thought uh, Ben Yurick uh, really impressed me, uh, and unfortunately, he's dead now. <laughs> as yeah. Prince said, can't believe it, uh, they did that. <laughs> yeah, did not see that coming. And and I, I mean, I understand it from it, it's it's a shame because he's a really integral part of the Daredevil comics. But I can understand hit them using his death to surprise the comic fans on one level, uh, but also further uh, evolve what they're doing with uh, the Kingpin. 
so I understand it, but I do kind of wish he was he was still around to see him evolve along with uh, Daredevil next season. I'm going to call it now. If that Spider-Man deal had gone down about like three months earlier, he wouldn't have died in the show because they would have used him there too. Probably, yeah. Maybe, yeah. I could see them doing that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. He's he's, he's been your... And for that matter, it would have been the Daily Bugle, not the, you know, freaking New York Bulletin or the, you know, whatever they call Daily it. Daily Bulletin was Daily it? Bulletin, that what it was? Yeah. I think that uh, his death has been like like the one thing that I've seen online. People say, you know, I love the show. The one thing I wish they didn't do was that, Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah, it, it, it might... Well, again, it's exactly what Chris said, is that I would have liked to have seen where this character went further down the line. And yeah, part of it is knowing the comics and knowing that uh, just how much of a... Uh, of an integral part of a lot, of, a bunch of the Daredevil series, uh, you know, Ben Yurick has been a part of. What has Vondi Curtis Hall been in other than this? Because this uh, is the first time I've seen him. I actually looked him up, and he directed Glitter. <laughs> oh, wow! <Really? laughs> yes, he did. Don't, tell me something better than that. How, uh, don't don't how, dissuade the man's acting ability by that story. Yeah, how is he not banned from Hollywood immediately after after doing? I that? don't know. I. I I saw that he directed another movie, which is a, a remake of Bonnie and Clyde. So I mean, okay, that's a, that sounds a lot more. That sounds a lot more interesting than Glitter. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at his actual acting credits here, and they're, they're mostly bit roles, except for he was in Soul Food in 2004. Uh, I know I've seen him from that. somewhere. I don't remember where. Uh, he was on The Soprano. Oh, he was on ER uh, in an extended arc, from the looks of it. Uh, he played Roger McGrath on ER back in 2001, so the final <laughs> season. And uh, he's also played other characters on ER. So he, he's really a, 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 a bit player. Oh, there we go, Chicago Hope. That's where he had his longest run. Um, he, he played one of the main uh, doctors on Chicago Hope. Uh, from but, but he was definitely yeah, one of the actors that everybody took notice of right? Definitely. Uh, from this show, yeah. which was cool to see. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and he was in Romeo and Juliet. That I remember. He was Captain Prince in in uh, in the '96 version of Romeo and Juliet, which I recently rewatched at uh, Nighthawk Cinema here in uh, here in Brooklyn at a uh, film feast. So they they, they gave us food uh, keyed to the movie uh, the entire time, which was pretty damn awesome. Nice, yeah, and drinks. Most importantly, drinks. <laughs> I heard that like uh, the decision to kill Yurik was like decided before they cast the character, and really? they cast hmm. Curtis Hall. It was, it was like the Stephen Denight did like a thirty minute thing with I think it was IGN. Okay. And uh, they said that like they cast Connors, uh, Verdi, Von D. Curtis Hall because apparently that like they knew that like they only had him for a season, or mm. he knew that he was only going to be in him for a season, so they got cast somebody that they knew they couldn't get back. So that kind of like led into it. And it was Marvel's idea to kill him. Like, and uh, Stephen Denight was like, oh, you can't do that because he's been York. And Marvel was like, we don't care. Do it. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, sometimes that is how you get your uh, your biggest uh, people involved. Like, I mean, to spoil uh, Arrow a little bit, I mean, you know, there is a character that left the show, uh, it, uh, you know, a, an episode ago right. because his contract was up and they knew that they would only have him for two years. So you, you know, know, I don't understand. That guy was on Teen Wolf, was great on that show. I really yeah. liked him. And uh, don't don't dissuade MTV's Teen Wolf. Give it a shot. It's, <laughs> it turns out to be a really nice show. No Michael J. Um, Fox, man. Yeah, whatever. It's more serious than that, which is what I liked about yeah, I it. It's yeah. a very serious take on the mythology. Anyway, so he left that show to join Arrow, was great in Arrow, mm-hmm. and then they only had him for a couple of seasons. Like, what else did he have lined up when he was doing Teen Wolf that – he could go and do a show for two and a half seasons. I, I have, don't understand I, that. I have two words for you, Brent. Tasha Yar. He wants a movie career. 
okay? And we all know how that how well that turned out for Tasha Yar on, on Next Generation. She had a full movie career, and everything turned out perfectly for her. <laughs> and the Academy Award goes to? Exactly. Well, it's oh, like, wait. you know, he's a, he's a young actor. He's fairly short in stature, so yeah. TV is probably his best bet. Um, I don't understand it. He might actually have another TV project lined up, if I remember correctly. He might actually have a pilot uh, in the works. But uh, but yeah, I think it is mainly that he wanted Hollywood, man. Like, he- Luckily, Roy's not dead yeah. in the show, so it's not like he cannot come back yeah. if he falls flat on his face. Right, exactly. Yeah, and, and they've said, too, that he might even show up in the spinoff show that they're doing, uh, which might be Justice Society, might be Justice League, or might be something entirely different. We don't know. I yet. mean, if they can bring Black... Uh, bring Black... Bring back Canary, <laughs> bring, bring black from the dead. Yeah, then uh, you know they can have Roy show up as well. Well, that's that's another reason why I think that that spinoff show is going to wind up being a Rip Hunter time travel series. But we'll find out soon enough because if it's a time <laughs> travel series, that would make me happy because I like time travel. Um, I'm going to say my favorite character because I wouldn't be shocked if it's like two of your other's favorite characters too. But we'll find out. Foggy, 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 foggy. Like, I, it, I'm glad you said that because a lot of people don't like him. I heard. You yeah, s- I'm I'm kind of on that boat. Seriously, <laughs> a Bob- little bit. But I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not I'm gonna I'm, I'm not gonna rain on your parade. I All want right. you to tell me why you like Foggy. Okay, well, so. for, well, first off, because he got laid. Thank God. <laughs> That's number one, giggity. Uh, no, uh, no. What, what was <laughs> well, that? Was great because they definitely played up the the fact that Matt's a ladies' man. But you, you they, they never talked a lot it. about it. They didn't show it at all. Exactly. Which was great when that moment with. Foggy happened. Matt, Matt, Matt Blue Balls Murdoch. That's all we saw all, all, all series long. But no, what, what worked with Foggy for me, he was the emotional element. He was the emotional constant for the show. He was the heart of the show for me. And in a lot of instances, he was the humor and the levity that the show needed. Like in every single dark moment, you know, there was Foggy <laughs> to boost things a little bit or even give some reality to the situation like right. you know like like the the look on his face in that episode where he finds out that you know Matt is not the stumbling blind man that he always thought he was um you know that that was real right there that was absolutely the reaction like come on if you knew somebody for like at least 10 years and thought he was blind the entire freaking time and then you find out he can kind of sort of see and is a badass and is running around the streets in a black suit like fighting crime like how the hell would you react <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like his his whole like essential fuck you to to Matt was absolutely warranted in that situation but oh yeah yeah it, but at the same time he he, tr- he somehow stays mostly positive, and the relationship playing off of Karen as well. Deborah Ann Wall, I've been a I've been a huge fan of hers all the way through True Blood, so I'm happy to see that she has work after that. Um, but the back and forth between the two of them, um, even if there's not going to be romance in their future, because obviously she you know wants to bone Matt, whether whether we like it or not, and uh, you know we we'll, might see that in season two. Hopefully she doesn't wind up getting a heroin needle in the middle of her uh, of her arm. But uh, we'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but just overall, he felt like the heart and soul of the series for me, and that's what kept me going back to him. And he was just he's genuinely funny. I don't think there was one joke that fell flat for me the entire time. Well, see, see, that's my big problem with him because I agree. Like the emotional moments, like especially episode ten, mm-hmm. uh, that definitely worked. Oh yeah, uh, Alden Henson was great with that. Uh, his relationship with Karen was good too. 
Uh, and I found it in tr- the relationships that between Foggy and Karen and Ben and Karen, mm-hmm. uh, I thought made up a big emotional part of the show. Oh yeah. Um, although it was weird in that one episode where Karen's really surprised that Foggy is into her. <laughs> like you're hot as fuck. How could she be surprised? <laughs> oh my god. And, and they did like uh, just like semi flirting multiple times, but then uh, she, I, I can't. What was the name of the um the the woman at the tenement? Oh shit, back uh, woman, Miss, not Martinez. Uh, Cardenas? Might start with an N, I thought. Yeah, you know what? Hold on. I'll, I'll look it up, but keep talking. Miss okay. Vuvuzela. But yeah, but the, the problem is that I didn't find his jokes very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it fe- it kind of felt like one of my uh, getting into. Cardenas, by the earlier. way. Uh, Elena Cardenas. Elena Cardenas, right. Yeah. Um, but I, there's a certain type of humor that crops up a lot with, with Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of quippy uh, type Glibness. Hmm? They're, like, they're very glib a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and Foggy was basically, like, they, they didn't have that, like, anywhere else in the show, but Foggy was, like, the nexus of that for the show. <laughs> and most of the time when there was a moment with humor of him, it was of that type. Sometimes he had jokes that I thought I thought were uh, good, mm-hmm. but a lot of the times it was that. So that side of Foggy uh, grated on me somewhat. Okay. But when it called for him to be emotional or just hanging out with a friend of his, right. that definitely worked. He also so, wasn't Commander Clueless, which which I'm right. glad that, right. that they didn't go because like that was one of the things that really didn't work for me in the in the movie uh, was just how bumbling. Uh, John Favreau's interpretation of Foggy Nelson was, and you know, for that matter, I'm glad that Matt Murdock didn't have a dirt face in this entire series, like uh, like Ben Affleck. <laughs> you watch Honest Rose too? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, but I, I, well, thought, I, was, I thought that oh, all the way through myself anyway. But go ahead, Donovan. Well, as I said, that like uh, I it's was, it was funny because I I've heard my friend Josh like we were talking a lot as we were watching the show, and he did not like Foggy from episode one, mm-hmm. and as the series progressed, he liked him more as the character was given more to do. Mm-hmm. I know Foggy Nelson really is that like for the majority of the Daredevil comics run, uh, he really is that kind of like human funny guy that like is just trying to be a nice guy. And I think that like he was written perfectly in that way. I think he was acted perfectly too. Yeah. I, I think that like he is a bit I don't say one dimensional, but he is this sole comedic relief in this bleak ass world. Mm. But I think that like I was glad that they did have him learn his identity because I think that Foggy is a richer character when he does know who Matt is. And I think that yeah. episode ten was what I was waiting for, and they really delivered on that. But I, I've always, I always liked him. I liked, be, be, partly because he was a comedic, comedic relief, and partly because I think that like it felt genuine to me. He wasn't annoying. Yeah. But I, I do understand that like your um, your miles may vary. I mean, I, I think that like a lot of people like John Favreau in the movie, but I think that this one just came off a lot closer to home. I guess more believable. Yeah, uh, Brent. He was, he was very a lot closer to um. I think what, uh, gosh, what's it? Mark Way is doing with him in Daredevil right now. Mm. Like before he got cancer, the original run when they were in New York City, right? Right. Not after they went to San Francisco and he's hiding out, but uh, that foggy there is read much more like what we got in this Daredevil than uh, any other time I've seen Foggy. Like, you know, I think I've read mo- I read the Bendis stuff. I don't remember that much of Foggy in that. 
and I've read the first arc of uh, Brubaker when he's in prison and Foggy's just like almost like a bumbling idiot and Punisher's escorting him out of this prison break. Bendis' run is just mainly Foggy getting shit on in as many places, in many ways as possible. Like, that's the best way to describe ben- Bendis' death run. Stuff. Yeah. Like, like h- how am I going to ruin your life today? That's that's Foggy Nelson during during Bendis' run. And, and that would be an interesting thing for them to pick up on in season two, is the actual pressure. Now that, now that Daredevil is who... Instead of the man in black, now he's officially Daredevil. Mm-hmm. He's going to be fighting crime in his Daredevil costume. Hopefully a better one. <laughs> and We'll get into that. And uh, so now we'll hopefully get to see like the pressure of that and the weight it puts on Foggy, which Bendis and Brubaker did a, a great job of exploring across their runs. Hey, man, at least he can move his head. That's true. <laughs> at least it's, not a, it's a zipper that he needs to zip up. <laughs> and, and there's no uh there's no fire uh logos uh in in the middle of a of, of a crime scene in this show and that's that's all that matters really oh hey i would be totally fine if vonnie curtis hall just casually threw a lighter on some gasoline dds that'd be fine no um can we Bender, can we talk Bender about comes back from the grave just to do that yeah i want, I want to move on to karen i thought go ahead when they cast Deborah Ann Wall, I loved, you know, I liked her in True Blood, mm-hmm. but let's face it, her character in True Blood was basically like a big crybaby all the time. Yeah. Which, I mean, <laughs> she was supposed to be an eternal 17-year-old girl, so I kind of understand how that character was like that. So I was kind of afraid that Karen here would be that same thing, but she wasn't. They made her really strong. They made her really uh, powerful. And you were able to see that Deborah Ann Wall actually has some range, which was nice. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was I thought that was very cool. You know, for somebody who most comic fans knew was going to be this addict and be very vulnerable a lot of the time, she was a very strong female character. I was I was very pleased to see that she knows how to shoot a gun. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> I thought that like they, like like they gave she was played and they and they wrote her as though you can see her she kind of plays that character that where you can kind of see her hit rock bottom if the script would allow for it but she was very proactive like all the time she was never like just like waiting to be saved or needing anybody she was always trying to like, take command over what she thought was wrong i thought that made for a very worthwhile character yeah yeah it could have it could have easily gone south when in the first episode she's like well i can be your secretary <laughs> and but easy, but she gets the whole storyline with Ben where she gets to you know investigate uh and there's some, that moment later on when they're trying to figure out where the corrupt cops being held and she's the one that gets to figure that out mm-hmm. uh she shoots the best character in the show Wesley in the face <laughs> um Poor Smithers so, yeah yes <laughs> so yeah she she did get a lot to do and I was glad about that and I was also glad that they didn't immediately jump to giving her a love interest between Foggy or Matt. Yeah, there was some hints that she had feelings uh, for Matt, but they didn't feel the need for this first season to immediately jump into that. So if they go for in the second season, uh, fine. Because I'm glad that they actually got to develop her character instead of immediately turning into her into her into a love interest. And, and hopefully, she won't suddenly decide she wants to become an actress in California and have her life entirely go to shit. That's season three. <laughs> if, you, if you read the Stan Lee run, literally that book is all about the love triangle between Karen, Foggy, and Matt to yeah. like a sickening degree, and they kind of played into that, which I, which I did like, but they didn't like you know actually you know dive into that where it was just 
horrific. They didn't shove so, it down your throats, which which right. which I was happy about because there, we already have two, uh, you know, two shows on CW. We didn't need a third. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, I want you to let me know your secret, Matt. <laughs> Brent, who was your favorite character anyway? Um, I was gonna say uh, Karen, but I really liked what they did with uh, the Kingpin with Wilson Fisk. Yeah, I was hoping you said that. Um. <laughs> He was just, I was surprised how nuanced he was. You know, we got the movie version where physically, you know, um, man, I forget his name, but he physically was the kingpin. Like, he was very tall, very built. Michael Clark Duncan, rest his soul. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very tall, very built, very jacked, very aggressive, very mean, very serious, which is kind of like what he was in the... Spider-Man cartoon uh, the, of yore that I remember the name the most from. Pretty much the best part of that entire movie was Michael Clark Duncan. Yes, yes. Well, Coolio in the director's cut, but whatever. <laughs> uh, parsing, mincing meats here. But uh, I really liked that he was just kind of like a big out-of-control child. You know, having one myself, I kind of understand it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I liked I liked the thing they did with the throwback with him, you know, with the white painting the very first time you see him. And then a couple episodes later, he's in timeout, staring at a wall that looks very similar to that same painting. Yeah. And then, boom, at the end of the series, when he's in jail, he's sitting in a cell. And what does he see? The same white painting. Uh, I just thought that was very, very cool, the way they did that. Props to the writers for, for carrying that through. And... Vincent D'Onofrio is not who I would have thought could be Wilson Fisk. Mm. But once, you know, uh, when the Ice Bucket Challenge was going on and he did it and he was, <laughs> you know, kind of beefed up and shaved his head and stuff like that, I was like, ooh, yeah, this is this is going to be good because he definitely had the roll down. And um, his delivery was very Shatner-esque. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was almost like he was holding back the entire time from exploding. Yeah, like he has yeah, exactly. so much built up inside that mm-hmm. he speaks so like stunted and stiltedly Shatner esque that he you know he wants to say so much but he knows that if he does say something he's going to say something he's going to regret or do something he's going to regret. Yeah, rage like when he killed, always um, right at the front. <laughs> like when he killed uh, Ben Urich, he was like, "And I'm here to kill you!" Yeah. You know, and just launched <laughs> at him. <laughs> It's like, oh my god. You know, like it, John Glover from Batman and Robin. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's completely both of your faults now that I'm imagining uh, uh the Kingpin going He <laughs> 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 does look a little bit like Curly. <laughs> yeah, no, I um, I enjoy I enjoyed him a lot and specifically the relationship between him and Vanessa was incredibly well built in this show. She was very yeah, well cast. I really like that. Like, uh, yeah. Laura from Man of Steel, I think. Uh, she was. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep. I uh, personally, though, I, I, I appreciated the take that he did on Kingpin. I will say it's not my favorite take. It, it's something different. It was something new. It was definitely, definitely unique. I still am a fan of the Black Kingpin from the 2003 movie and the Black Kingpin from the 90s Spider-Man show because <laughs> I just find those more entertaining. But, uh, was not black in the '90s Spider-Man show. Come he was on. played by uh, Roscoe Lee Brown. He was voiced by a a, a black dude. Who I had no also... idea. But uh, those are my favorite Kingpins. But I do appreciate the different take that he took. And I think that like he did make for a very interesting antagonist. It was a little weird seeing because like I, I see the character as like always in charge, especially in the Miller run, like always like the boss of bosses. And this one was kind of just like a very like emotionally stunted kind of immature character. So it was kind of a uh, culture shock. So 
So I never really got around that, but I recognize that it's something different. And it's just it was just not it was it was not my thing, but uh, it was interesting to look at. Well, he he wasn't really the kingpin at the beginning of this series. He was yeah. he was you know a pawn, not a pawn in someone else's game. He was a, a player on a team of people that slowly began devolving into you know them being pawns in his game, whether he liked it or not. Um, right. You know, I don't think he wanted to dissolve all of those relationships. It just ended up that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if in season two he does become, you know, gets the name the Kingpin. If he did, I don't remember if he got it in this season or not. They never actually called him the Kingpin. No, right. I wouldn't be surprised if, if now that he's built up this reputation and stuff and being in prison, if you know when he gets out from his fancy lawyer, he'll uh, <laughs> start becoming the Kingpin. Well, he's he, like he's going to wind up. Uh, I mean, obviously, since he's. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in Europe like we do in the comics uh, in the show, like essentially rebuilding his empire overseas and then making his way back into uh, into the U.S. on the show. Like, like we'll we'll shift focus. We'll wind up probably going to the hand or something like that, and then making our way back to the Wilson Fisk when the time is right. I wouldn't be surprised. He'll come back, hire an assassin. That assassin will be Electra, and then Bullseye <laughs> will come up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bullseye will definitely be season two, I guarantee you. And he probably will not have a bullseye in the middle of his forehead. And I, that, that will make me happy. You know, if we stay away from... If we stay away from Bullseye or Electra in this net, uh, Marvel Netflix series, I know that they won't. But the longer they stay away from those two, the, the happier better. I will be. Yeah. No, I agree yes. with you. Yeah, because it's going to make it all the sweeter when they, when they actually do pull it off. And it'll build the uh, actual show a little better as opposed to immediately... Like, that's why... And, you know, a little bit of a rant here. I hate, hate, hate when shows and series immediately go to the big villain, like, right away. <laughs> you know, because, like, that, that takes away everything in the long run. Like, I mean, sometimes it works. Like, like Captain America and, and Red Skull, you can, you can say that that worked because, obviously, that was a, you know, that was based in the past... And and you had to get uh, you know through the whole Nazi me- menace to have him wind up here. That makes sense. But like, you know, Iron Man. If they had used the Mandarin in the first movie, that would have been stupid. That wouldn't have worked for for the uh, for the at least. Or at least Batman for, Begins in the Joker. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, Batman Begins in the Joker. Exactly. If you just gone Joker first, like you did in the eighties, that would have been you know that that would have been like retreading waters, and you wouldn't have had the time to build the characters the way you do, you you do. So that's why I'm glad that Daredevil is doing that here. And in general, that's sort of what uh, the the Marvel the Marvel concepts have done. Since Thor doesn't really have any villains other than Loki uh, that you know anybody gives a shit about, so. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, but it's true. <laughs> Chris, yeah. Chris, what do you think about uh, about uh, Kingpin? Well, I came to him mostly from reading his appearances in Spider-Man and watching the '90s animated series. Yeah, and so watching it, I felt you know he's definitely he's definitely interesting how they're conceiving him in this with the contrast between him being this this childlike personality he has because he got emotionally stunted when he was like in middle school because he killed his dad. Um, and also his mom saying, get the saw, uh, as well, <laughs> probably had an impact on him. Something they did capture is how he is, when he lashes out violently, somebody's dead when he's done doing it. Yeah. yeah. Um, like one of my favorite moments in the show is in episode four, when one of the <laughs> Russian gangsters interrupts his dinner with Vanessa and 
He slams well, you don't it. talk anymore about it. You just say car door. Car door. Car door. <laughs> well, car door. He pulps the dude's head yeah. in the car door, and he keeps doing it. He just continues like a minute, a minute and a half. I don't know how long he was slamming that dude's head in that car door, but he just pulped it. Yeah, booster um, gold. <laughs> um, but in the past couple of weeks, now that I've read like 100 issues of Daredevil uh, – <laughs> Oh yes, yeah, you must have. You must be a student to have all this time on your hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you been um, Have you been reading them in unlimited or are the actual issues? Yes. Okay, unlimited. Cool. Nice. Um, which is I a true convert of Marvel Digital Unlimited. Yeah, especially uh, with the latest updates to the app that that's made things a lot easier. Yes, uh, where you can zoom in on a full page mm-hmm. so that you don't have to mess around with how big it is in your settings, yep. uh, which I had to do the first time I used it. Uh, that was great. Um, but I agree with, uh, with Donovan in the, the presentation of the Kingpin and that, how he's this very cold and calculating and highly intelligent guy who gets a bunch of great lines, especially in Miller. Um, it's a very different take because one of the problems, like even when I watched it, one of the problems I have with it is that it's really hard to imagine this guy learning multiple languages and becoming a crime boss when he has such an emotional developmental stumbling block. That's really easy to see. Uh, so it was kind of hard for me to, to buy him being able to amass this criminal empire. But if they develop the show and that we get to see more of that cold, if he's able to take more control and we get more of that cold uh, controlling personality because I think the the Daredevil Kingpin relationship is one of the most interesting relationship relationships in comics because uh, for one thing you got to see like he was a Spider Man villain but after Miller used him in Daredevil he was automatically a Daredevil villain pretty much from that point on yeah. and had a much more uh, deep relationship and the fact that they knew each other's identities and even after Born Again how they continued to play with the sort of the cold war between them, between Kingpin having knowledge of Daredevil's identity and the sort of uh, stalemate between the two of them uh, is really uh, fascinating. And I like that we're, that they're developing that relationship in this first season. And so that in later seasons there, we get to see, cause yeah, I mean, they had hundreds of issues to develop this in the comics, but we only have a limited number of episodes so if we get to see that kind of relationship, uh, thanks to the groundwork in this first season and later seasons, then I think it was worth it to do. I, I, I've always sort of thought that uh, that Kingpin works better as a Daredevil villain than a Spider-Man villain because uh, Daredevil's villain them in, in general are a lot more grounded than Spider-Man's. So mm-hmm. Spider-Man doesn't deal with crime bosses very often. And I mean, I could understand why they wanted to introduce him to perhaps give a, a little bit of a different criminal for Spider-Man to face, but just it's not his world. You know, he, he's better facing uh, people in in vulture suits and and, and you know uh, characters with uh, with six arms than he is at, at taking down crime bosses. Like that's just, he that's has crime boss thing. villains like Hammerhead and like you know other guys, but. There, there's a bit of a suspension of disbelief you can't buy into that, like, the guy who can bench press 15 tons can't knock out the kingpin. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Is that kind of thing? Yeah, that that and Hammerhead has a hammer-shaped head. Come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that brings up one of the best um, parts of the series is that they did a great job of showing that uh, Matt Murdock is a normal person. Right. Yeah. Uh, he has, you know, his radar sense and 
enhance smell and hearing and all of that. But when it comes to actual fighting, he's, you know, just an ordinary guy, you know, trained in the martial arts, but still. And, like, the the way that they showed his bruises heal over time and that they changed color uh, from episode to episode uh, was a brilliant touch. And, you know, in that fight scene from episode two, how he got so tired and those guys didn't just drop as soon as he punched them. They kept getting up. You know, things like that really helped to sell um, the action parts of the show. I really liked how they did his powers because they're kind of they're a lot more subtle with it than we've ever seen because they never outright said he has radar sense. He has because he didn't know what it was. But like, there's that scene where he's like in the warehouse and he's on the phone with Rosario Dawson, and she's like, "Okay, to you know, carry this woman, what do you have?" And like, he didn't even move his head. He just kind of stopped and said, uh, "Box of nails, flare gun, this that." And that was, I mean, if you're a comic fan, you okay, that's his radar sense. But like, they kind of just show you vaguely what he can do just by not even, you know, but kind of stopping and feeling what's around him, which is pretty badass. Yeah, and, and the episode... You know, that's... Okay. I, I, got a compl- I got a complaint. That was the one thing I didn't like. I liked how he could smell the guy, you know, in that same in that same episode, th- two floors up through from his cologne. That was believable. But him just knowing things, like he's clairvoyant, I didn't buy. Uh, well, radar or no that. radar, if you're going to have a box of nails in a drawer, the way the actual radar or sonar works, you're going to get a bounce off the drawer. You're not going to be able to tell what's in the drawer or the cabinet. So that I thought that was complete, you know, too much bullshit for me. I can take some, <laughs> but um, that was pushing it too far. So be it. <laughs> and especially the when they when they visually showed what he sees as a world on fire or whatever, mm-hmm. I was completely dumbfounded how he was even able to tell what the hell anything was the way that they've showed it visually. Yeah. Um, because it looked like a lot of blurs as opposed to what they've been doing in Mark Wade's run where it's literally, you know, a bunch of radars bouncing off and creating an image. Well, uh, much better than the rain scene and stuff like that in the movie. No, I actually so, kind of like the way they did the movie. I thought that made sense. And I thought that the know, weight stuff the was movie stuff. made sense too, but but the way that they did it in this show is is my one major nitpick of this entire show. Is it is a bit vague though. I'll, I'll give you that. It's vague, it's very broad and it's not, you know, th- a lot of things are believable, but this is not that believable. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, but w- one thing that uh, that I appreciated was, uh, I mean, when we got to the episode with Stick, uh, played masterfully by Scott Glenn. I mean, he, he oh did, yeah, he did a <laughs> damn good job of being an asshole. <laughs> Which Stick is in the comics. Yes, he is. Yeah, uh, but the, the the training there, um, I think, really added to uh, the, I guess the the level of. Uh, clarity that that daredevil has throughout the show uh, because you know that that it took a lot of training to get where he is and yeah i'll agree brent the whole you know fiery world thing is a little a little weird to sort of you know i guess make sense of as to you know how he can figure things out but it does lend to the fact that he is still blind no matter which way you slice it he's still blind he can sort of see but he's still blind, and it's all the other senses that help him figure out, um, you know, the enhancements, the enhanced senses that he has, figure out the world uh, in front of him, behind him, and around him. So it's not, the, the sight is not nearly as important than everything else. 
I like in this show how he really does fight like the comic book Daredevil. He doesn't just kind of just punch and kick people. Yeah. He does flip kicks. He does martial arts. He literally he does the whole like you know ricocheting the screaming sticks off of the walls. Mm-hmm. And the, and the show's still grounded, but they give you the comic book Daredevil in that sense. Uh, so I, I thought that like uh, as as grounded as the show is, is still in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and they're not they're not half stepping, you know. Yeah. Oh, and and since since we mentioned the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I got to say this real quick that. It was masterfully done to explain why Hell's Kitchen is currently a shithole. <laughs> Avengers? <laughs> yeah, be- because I live in New York. Hell's Kitchen has not been a shithole since the 70s. Yeah, that's what I saw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hell- Hell's Kitchen is, w- is, in general, one of the nicest areas to live because there's a whole bunch <laughs> of high-rises. There's, you know, some, you know, doorman buildings and all this. You got to have an arm and you got to pay an arm and a leg to get anywhere in Hell's Kitchen. And yet explaining that because of that damn Chitauri disaster in Avengers and it happening in Manhattan, that's why Hell's Kitchen is currently a shithole again. And I'm OK with that. That made a crap load of sense. The only thing that didn't make sense was trying to explain how their locations of Williamsburg are also in the middle of Hell's Kitchen, but it's a show, and I can understand why they had to do this. <laughs> I got fired for that. Yeah. Why is it called Hell's Kitchen? It, it's it's a name that's uh, that's stuck for years. Uh, essentially, uh, when it was crime ridden, it would it would be like you know you're walking through Hell's Kitchen. You know anything can happen at, at any point. Uh, you can get <laughs> robbed and killed, and you know all that crap. But again, has not been that way since there was graffiti all over the um, the trains in 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 New York, and that has not been that way for quite some time. <laughs> yeah. Whenever a show happens in New York, too, I love like spotting locations, which is why, again, why I posted what I did to to Facebook. Uh, for those of you who uh, who are lucky enough to actually be my friend on Facebook, because I didn't post this to the comic timing feed, but I probably will after this episode. That uh, you know, I, I didn't I didn't realize that Nelson and Murdoch's. Uh, uh, you know, office was in the middle of Williamsburg. Damn superhero hipsters! <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're right outside of. They're right across my. Was it Atlas something or other? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There are a lot of Easter eggs in this show. Oh, dude. Yeah, totally. Uh, one of them. Uh, one of the Easter eggs. Uh, not just the uh, the Crusher Creel Easter egg. Which but, I marked out like a motherfucker on. That was awesome. Oh hell yeah, that was that was great because that not only does that tie into Agents of Shield, but it you know brings things together into the uh, whole Marvel universe. But I saw, I could have sworn that I saw a poster that had the name Barton on it as one of the boxers. I think you're right. I saw that too. I, mean, I think Screen Rant has a list of the Easter eggs, but I think I saw that when I was watching it as well. Yeah. Um, so. As well as the uh, the Gladiator had Stiltman stilts. Yes. In his yes. Shop. Yeah, that uh, was for cool. Some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, what hey, is- somebody wants a costume. He's gonna make him a costume. Yeah. And <laughs> sp- speaking of costumes, so Chris, not a fan? No. <laughs> it, it, and I was one of those guys who was like, man, I hope they don't wait until the thirteenth episode until for them to reel a costume. Take <laughs> thirteen episodes to be Daredevil, and then when it was revealed, I was like, okay, well, maybe he could have been a ninja for the whole show. Yeah, I actually like the black costume for the majority of it. That looked kind of cool to me. Yeah, it, 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 I got used to it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was part. It was in part because I've been so spoiled by the Flash. Right. Where it's like first episode, he's got the costume. Sixth episode, everybody's calling him the Flash. <laughs> like they they just you know hit that stuff instantly. But it did you know and, and as the show went on, I was fine with them not just you know a couple episodes in making him Daredevil. 
and then progressing to it. I was the one thing about it. the Flash is that they didn't call him the Blur or the Streak for four fucking seasons like yeah. Smallville did. <laughs> Jesus or, Christ, or, <laughs> or Arrow the for Red that Spur. matter with with the uh, what was it the hood the vigilante the vigilante right the vigilante yeah look we've got a vigilante on our hands what should we call him let's call him the vigilante what my God <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah let, so let's talk about that suit I thought you know when it was revealed. Mm-hmm. In it, okay, well, first thing, so the 13th episode of the of the show, but not just the 13th episode, the last 15 fucking minutes of yeah. that episode. It's yeah. like at the very last possible moment, uh, it was just, come on. You couldn't have gotten it earlier in the damn show. It's just, it was, I was dying to see it. They wanted that know? to be the growth. That's what they wanted. They wanted it to be essentially like becoming Daredevil, becoming. It made sense because he, yeah. he doesn't get like, you know, wrecked in that. You know, like Foggy calls like black pajamas, and he needed something tougher. Yeah, yeah. No, but he got wrecked so much earlier in the show. He needed it a lot earlier, I thought. But yeah. <laughs> good point. <laughs> so, so anyway, I I like the top of the helmet, mm-hmm. um, and I like the horns. I thought I didn't like them as much as I as I do, because um, that re- the whatever the video reveal that they had did a really crappy job of showing. Like it almost made them look like they, like they weren't there. Yeah, and, and, but then and, when you see them from the side, they're much more blade-like. Like they're they're not really horns; they're more like Batman's arm protrusions. All the more reason I wish they hadn't even bothered with that shit. Like, don't don't <laughs> fucking. And you know what? Yeah, we could talk about this now. That like when when it was revealed, Brent posted to the Facebook page. You know, hey, check this out. But like, I'd seen a whole bunch of different people that I follow being like, you know, this is something that I want to see myself in the show. And after watching the show, I completely agree with them. I think it was absolutely crap of them to to fucking do that when you've been keeping it, you know, close to the vest this entire time, and yet you decide you want to reveal it the day before, and they didn't even do a good job of revealing it. You know, yeah, it, was, I agree. it was just the fucking morph, and you didn't get to see the whole outfit, and it was it 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 made things look even a lot worse than it does because I'm looking at the image now and. It's a pretty practical outfit, and you can easily see that it's going to evolve even further, you know, as the series progresses. Like right now, Gladiator himself said that it's it's it'll you know it, this is this is as good as I can get you right now. Doesn't mean it's going to look different come halfway through season two, you know. I, I think I think it's expected because they were hedging their bets that like you know the internet would say no if they, if they show it earlier on. So like. They show it in the last episode and says, "Well, we'll work on it in between seasons or in between appearances." Yeah. Um, so like they kind of went with like a practical suit, but something that still evoked Daredevil's silhouette. Um, I think it's okay. I, I, I don't hate it. it. There's definitely room to grow. I think ultimately I, I might prefer the athlete costume a bit more because that looks just more like Daredevil. I think that like um, I, for one thing, I miss the double D's on his chest. We'll get there. I do too. I think I think um, we'll get there. But I, I think that, like, uh, I like the combination of black and red because I think it, it looks good enough. And I think that the shade of red is still red, but it is kind of a dark red. So mm-hmm. I don't dislike it. It's a burgundy. I just think it's, it's room to grow. Yeah, the bur- burgundy is probably the closest color to, to what he's wearing. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing, I you know, about that helmet is, like, I wish they would have made the helmet not maybe, you know, almost look like it was one piece, but not have the red and black on the helmet. To me, that's the most distracting thing. Is that like the bottom of his chin is like black and the mm-hmm. top is red? Like yeah. that should have just been one color. I think that would have made the outfit, you know, all that much better. I still think um, that by the time we get to season two or at least an episode or two in, you're gonna you're yeah. gonna have one color. 
That's fine. And they finally got Cap's helmet right with the second, you know, third Cap movie or whatever. (laughs) It took took them a while as well. Yeah. Um, But as far as it being a spoiler, obviously, if they did, if they thought it was a spoiler, then maybe they would have told Netflix not to change the Daredevil cover to him in the suit (laughs) the third day the show was on. It was like Friday and Saturday. It was him in the black outfit Uh or him him in the glasses. I think it was him in the glasses. Mm -hmm. It was, and then. As soon, you know, come Sunday, he's like in the red outfit, and that's what it's been like, ever since. You've all sat down and watched all 13 episodes, obviously, so time to change it up. It's also like, like next episode, like season finale, Daredevil, and he saw the, like, the last image of him. Yeah. You know, Marvel Studios properties are making enough money to give everybody in New York a roll of toilet paper made of dollar bills. <laughs> so I don't see why they had to make a made uh, work in progress costume. I mean, maybe if they wanted to, I can, I, it's, Kind of like them doing their version of the yellow costume originally. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the first thing he went out on, and eventually he got uh, to the point of the red costume. But I don't really think it was necessary for them to play around that way. Um, but, you know, they did it. And, I mean, they and it's not like we had to... Maybe if we had gotten it sooner, we would I would have gotten more used to it. Who knows? But at the same time, them doing it at the end of the episode... I'm okay with it if they definitely improve on it for the second season. Hey, how long did it take Ollie to get a freaking domino mask? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hey, he needed the Flash's expertise to create whatever cloth he made. Oh, dear. It took Daredevil uh, half a season to blow up some buildings where it took Arrow the entire first season. Right. So, (laughs) You know what about Flash, though, is like he was... You know, Barry was so smart in those episodes in Arrow before he had his own damn show. And now he's got his own damn show in Sidekicks. He's like half as smart as he was in Arrow. Like, he doesn't do anything for himself in that show. Guys, how do I put out a fire? (laughs) (laughs) I love that show, but still. I do too. It's awesome. Yeah. Barry can do. Let Barry do some things on his own, figure it out. This this show is. For me, in the in the superhero pantheon that we're currently in, it's better than Arrow. That much, yeah. that much, I'll definitely say. Uh, especially this season, because this season's been sort of up and down for me. Um, the last yeah. couple of episodes have been better, but it feels like we took forever to get there. Flash, I think, is better than Daredevil, but I think that's only because, well, again, they're they're totally different shows. But uh, Flash, Flash has more episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, Flash has more episodes to work with, of course. But Flash Two, uh, I feel like, is a little bit slightly more fleshed out because of that and it's done a better job of uh, of of a general season long arc than uh than Well it daredevil has a mystery. Has. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And also no mystery in daredevil it's just oh uh, when are we going to take down the kingpin? Yeah. <laughs> the mystery of the red suit. <laughs> well, and it also it's more uh embracing of its comic book heritage than daredevil is. Oh, totally. The daredevil is well, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like, Daredevil is a crime... Like, in terms of what each of them is trying to do, they're like 1 and 1A, one mm-hmm. uh, with Daredevil taking the crime, more dramatic angle on superheroes, and yeah. Flash fully embracing the, the goofiness and the fun of comic books. Mm-hmm. So they're like kind of at the same level in terms of what they're uh, trying to do. And, and for that matter, every single thing that Gotham has tried to do with their criminal empire, they uh-huh. need to watch Daredevil. <laughs> I don't know what Gotham can do right now because they're, they're in a situation where like they don't know, they clearly don't know what story they're telling because we're not going to see Batman for a, a good decade, so there's nothing to really go to. Well, it, 
that's just it. Like, they don't need Batman on the show. They just need, a, you know, a believable crime empire and some, you know, character development for the detectives, and I'll be perfectly fine because, you know, I, I wanted the Gotham Central show to begin with. That's what they need out of Gotham to make it work for, for me. And less of this, like, oh, hey, Ivy, you're really poison, wink. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sick and tired of that. And And for that matter, it says something that when... Gotham came back, I didn't immediately run to my DVR to watch it. I still have like three episodes on my DVR waiting to be watched. And yet, you know, the other shows that are superhero driven usually get watched within a week. Gotham came yeah, back have... like the week after Daredevil and The Flash came back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I have those same three episodes of, of Gotham on my D- on uh, Hulu. Shit, man, I haven't even finished watched. Constantine yet. Constantine's last two episodes are still sitting on my DVR. So oh, yeah, that that, right. that that says a lot, I think, of the quality of the of those particular shows. Where do we think we're headed? Uh, wh- where do you think season two is going to go for uh, for Daredevil? Stilt Man? No, Mister Fear? Maybe. That- uh, I think the Owsley's son, uh, mm. who was yeah. also great in the show. I liked him just like his interactions with the Kingpin. He was actually probably he was another. Now that I realize that he's another bit of humor in the show oh totally we, we win, was definitely levity he's such a prick <laughs> when he's talking with fisk and he's like everything's fine he's like oh yeah everything's going to hell but it's fine yeah uh <laughs> and i think and considering how many times we got a mention of his son his son is probably going to be the owl for the show oh definitely yeah uh kind of like uh i guess he's you could say he was uh the owl owlsley on the show was the henry james olsen oh uh, <laughs> Well, but, uh, Stephen Knight did say that, like, uh, and that I didn't think that, like, uh, if you look in the comics, apparently the Owl's father was a financier. Okay, cool. Oh, okay. So him pointing that out it, it, it indicates to me that, like, these guys really do know the comics. They're not bullshitting around. My, my favorite Leland moment in the entire show was after the uh, the poisoning at the uh, banquet. He's like, oh, oh, I touched this glass. Does that mean I'm going to die? <laughs> Like, God, you're really bad at faking that you weren't behind this. Yeah. <laughs> he did everything but yank his collar. Yeah. <laughs> Should I be checked out by a doctor? Like, no, shut up. <laughs> oh, did we mention, did we talk enough, enough about uh, Wesley? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, but uh, go ahead. Talk about that for a minute, uh, for a little bit. I got to step away for one sec, but keep talking. No, yeah, just real quick. Like, uh, he was in the comics, like, such a minor character, like, in the Miller run, but and, like, he was in the movie, but... He was like a combination of like Smithers and James Bond because he, you know, he did his job and he was really, really likable just being a kind of like, you know, just a, an ass kissing <laughs> kind of guy. So I, I was really sad that he died, but he was great when he was on the show. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like this first scene where he's like going over to his dad and telling him that his, fa- his daughter's going to get killed unless he does something for Fisk. That was a great way to introduce him. And then his role in the other show and it was and also when he died and like kingpin is like holding his hand and kissing him after he's dead i mean that was a real that was a surprisingly emotional uh moment because he really was like the only friend in the world that uh fisk had it wasn't a two-sided it wasn't a one-sided relationship right yeah yeah. no it wasn't at all and and that's that's what works so so great about wesley is uh your 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 smithers joke earlier actually kind of makes a lot of sense to me you know because you know, <laughs> say what you will about about Waylon Smithers Waylon Smithers cares about his boss you know cares about Mr. Burns and will do absolutely anything for Mr. Burns in a big way in a big way you know I don't think Wesley was in love with Fisk like uh, like Smithers is in love with Burns but there's 
there would be at least emotion if if Smithers were to suddenly die. You know, Burns would be struck in in one way or the other, and that's that's the way I felt about about Wilson here. But there's a lot more friendship than just you know servant ma- uh, master going on here. Yeah, he's like, that was my friend. Yeah, yeah, it was the same level of loyalty. Oh, definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. In all seriousness, though, I mean, where do we think we're going for season two? Like, I truly do believe that. Like, I don't know if they're gonna like just pardon the phrase, blow their wad on it, but I think that like Bullseye and Electra Miller run is season two, and then like you know, should we get season three, Born Again ish? Maybe, and then maybe season four, like the whole Bendis out storyline. Mm, well, I mean, the season two is going to air probably right after Iron Fist, if not before it. Well, they conv- they, conv- they said uh, 2016. They've they've had they did talk about that. I think right, and, and well, that's it's just been it, renewed. Right? It'll be the, it'll be pretty much, you know, in the same amount of time because like the way House of Cards at least goes is that it, you know, season two was in February 2014, and here we are, season three in tw- February 2015. Right. Because I remember sitting down with my brother. We were both off. Both took that day off to watch season two of House of Cards, and I think we we mainlined that the entire day. Mm-hmm. We did all we did all thirteen episodes in one day that day. <laughs> yeah, that was well, a good day. That, <laughs> <laughs> any, Watch any, House of Cards. Any, any, yeah, I, I know. I, I still haven't watched this season of House of Cards, but I've heard mixed things about it. So I'm 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 looking forward to at least giving my opinion on it at some point. But uh, I I think we'll go hand. I don't necessarily know if we're going to go Electra. However, the throwaway reference to Electra in the flashback scene to them in oh, college. Yes. You know, does hint that she is out there somewhere, um, and whether or not she'll be in the whole season, or whether she'll be in, say, like the back end of this of season two, uh, we'll we'll wait and see on that. But I also don't quite know about Bullseye because uh, I agree with Brent; they might very well be saving him uh, until you know, maybe even a potential season three, or maybe even the, the Defenders series, just because Bullseye Bullseye is not a series, uh, a, a exactly a main villain. Bullseye is a uh, is a guy you can bring out as a as a challenge, but I don't know if he could like support a whole season arc. Yeah, he needs well, to come back with the, whenever the kingpin comes back. Yeah. Well, uh, what what they have to do like there's a lot of setup that they have to do. Uh, like with Electra, I could easily see him see them pulling an Arrow uh, card, not exactly as extensive as Arrow does, but using flashbacks to show his relationship with Electra. Mm-hmm. Right, and then with Bullseye. You have to build up Bullseye's hatred of Daredevil, right? Because uh, he there were a couple of stories involving Bullseye before it got to the point where he was had such an animosity uh, towards Matt that he actively went after Daredevil and eventually ended up in the Kingpin's employ. So there's a lot of uh, laying the seeds for doing some of the Miller stuff. Because if there's something I've learned from reading Daredevil is that eventually you have to pull in Miller. Oh yeah, people can't resist. Pulling in Miller and Miller did so did so much to uh, influence Daredevil. That's understandable. Why not? Especially like with you're saying with the hand, uh, since you know one of their members is dead. Right. Uh, they could easily you know uh, have the hand coming for revenge. Uh, so there's a d- lot of different places they can pull from the Miller run. Not necessarily trying to tell the whole story over one season, but definitely building those stories to then fully flesh out in another season. Yeah, man, it's just going to be a 2016 full of Miller. We're just going to see Frank Miller <laughs> all over the small screen and the big screen, and then for some reason, 
Dark Knight Three: The Master Race because we the Master all, Race we've, we've all been clamoring for that one. <laughs> Does he want to like start Sin City the movie three? Yeah, yeah. Because Sin City two, I still haven't seen it, so I don't know whether it was good or bad. Yeah, yeah don't worry about it. It's not yeah. terrible, but it's not great either. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just, really it's really middling. That's the bad part. Yeah. Ava Green's like naked for half of it. There, there's a reason why. Uh, Frank Miller's early work is so praised, just like Chris Claremont's early work is so praised, and why John <laughs> Byrne's early work is so praised is because their late work. Eh. I don't know why are we pretending that like why is DC pretending that like Miller is still within all of his faculties and like like the last everything he's written since like 1990 has been insane. Like <laughs> why are we pretending that it's still 1985? I don't understand that because he still has friends in the industry. That's why, and because he still has loyal as he must be a pretty freaking fans. friendly guy. <laughs> it, well, yes and no. It's just I the way the way that I the way that I've always put it with him is there are creators that don't know when enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And because this is the only thing they know how to do. And I completely understand that. And this will actually transition well into what we're talking about next on the show, but when you're a creator, all you some, some people all they know how to do is create. And you know, as opposed to moving on to say, you know, opening up a fucking furniture store somewhere, you know, like if you're a writer, you want to write and that's what you do and that's fine. It's just it's very difficult to recapture that magic every single time out, especially as you get older and perhaps your political views change and perhaps your <laughs> your writing style changes and perhaps your art style changes. I'm not at all talking about Frank Miller right now. I'm obviously talking about someone else. But <laughs> the fans are not necessarily going to continue to drool over your work as all of this changes, or at least not all of them. And that's something that you're gonna have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, just as an example, when the moment Schwarzenegger became an actor again after he stopped being a governor, yeah. he made like five movies in a year, and like they all, I saw them, and like you know they ranged from quality, but they all didn't do well because I don't know if this generation values Arnold Schwarzenegger as much as we and other the older generation did back then. So I don't know if you know Frank Miller's name would sell towards today's modern combo generation unless it's still us. The Expendables movies don't do you know, gangbusters. I mean, like, you know, the first one did pretty well, but then the second and the third one did okay in the box office because, yeah, these old, uh, you know, action heroes are you know, past their peak for the most part. Like, they, they, <laughs> and, and that's actually a good parallel with Frank Miller because uh, him being in the new Terminator mm-hmm. seems more like a cash-in on Schwarzenegger yeah. than an actual, like, because it's, you know, another Terminator. Right. You know, James Cameron's been gone for forever, and they're just using you know the name of the Terminator and bringing in Arnold Schwarzenegger to sell it fully. Furthermore, and then with Dark Knight Three, I mean, he's not he's co-writing it with Brian Azzarello. He's not going to be drawing it. Yeah. So it's it, mm-hmm. well compared to you know Dark Knight Returns and uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again. I mean, that was him on writing and art. Yeah. So that was fully him in the project. You know, say what you will about them, but that was you know pure Frank Miller. And now with him having a co-writer and not even drawing it, it feels more like him having this idea and DC seeing the value in his name. You you, you As, want me to you, you want me to admit something? Uh, I yeah. was I was young enough when uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again to be coming out where I read that first, 
<laughs> and I and I think uh, and I think I've said that before on this show before. It's just I read D- Dark Knight Return, uh, Dark Knight Two before I read Dark Knight Returns, and I was like, "The fuck is this all about? Like, why why are people clamoring all over this? This is this is this is almost in- incomprehensible. What the fuck is going on?" And then I finally went and I went to my local co- college bookstore. I think it was a Shakespeare and Co. And I and I bought Dark Dark Knight Returns and I read it and I'm like. Oh, so that's why people were clamoring over it because Dark Knight Returns was so good. <laughs> yeah, good lord, man. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sure I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not the only oh, yeah. one because because you know, like, yeah, when you see like like this, uh, you know, this stuff coming out, like you're you're gonna be like, yeah, man, people are people are talking about dark, you know, Dark Phoenix Saga like crazy. I should totally pick up the next Chris Claremont book and wait, what? <laughs> so that's the way that works, but. Let's let's transition into uh, creator rights a little bit um, because okay. because today uh, actually not today but over the last couple of days uh, there have been reports coming out uh, of uh, DC that uh, Jerry Conway a, a man who's been creating for years and actually is currently working on an Amazing Spider-Man arc um, that uh, that's been coming Which is out good yeah I, I've. I, I read wa- that one issue. It was pretty good. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear it, actually, because I was waiting for it to show up on Unlimited, but uh, I'll, I'll definitely make sure to read those when they come out. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that he's, he's been, you know, he's still active in the, in the, in, you know, the comics community and active, uh, you know, in projects, but he reported that he, he's, a, he's created a bunch of co- characters for DC, and he created Killer Frost, the original Killer Frost, and... He's not getting a Felicity cent. Smoke. He, yeah, he created Felicity Smoke as well. He's not getting a cent off of Flash because the character in Flash, uh, then I'm blanking on her name right now like an idiot. Uh, uh, Caitlin, Caitlin Snow. Snow. Thank you. Caitlin Snow is the New 52 version of Killer Frost, which is created by Sterling Gates uh, in New 52. And he's not getting a cent off of that. Neither is Sterling Gates getting a cent off of that because in a circular like in a giant loop dc says that if it's a derivative work you can't make any money off of that and then jerry conway is like okay well i created killer frost and there's killer frost on the screen so where's my money and they're like well you didn't create caitlin snow so you're not getting any money and (laughs) yeah absolutely so what what does this say about the industry right now and how they treat their creators? Because I know that this has been an issue for years now with Kirby and all that. Mind you, I'm drinking a Kirby Genesis Ale right now by Schmaltz Brewery, uh, almost because I, I was looking forward to talking about this. Did they give that. his greedy heirs any money? I'm sure they did because there's a, there's <laughs> oh, a, there's a, there's a Jack Kirby right on the uh, right on the label, and this he is gonna created be, Spider-Man. You see, this is going to be really fun to talk about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sorry, they may not, may or may not be greedy, but their lawyer certainly fucking is. Brent, please, we're going to we're, we're going to get there, and I sort of agree with you in sorry. some aspects. But uh, but no, just uh, that you know that that, that there have been ch- creators that have been mistreated for years now. I mean, you know, it took forever for uh, the creators of Superman to get what they deserve. You know, so, uh, you Bill know, Finger, yeah, Gil, Bi- yeah. Bill Bob Finger, Kane. oh Bob Kane, fuck Bob Kane, fuck him hard. All right, you didn't create shit, Bob. Seriously. But because he made the deal he did when he did with DC, he's the only guy who created anything for for Batman all these years. It's all been Bob Kane. He's still writing comics now. Was him who drew those Dick Sprang comics? Yeah, exactly. In fact, yeah, he had a smart father to, to swoop into the DC offices for him. 
He killed Jason Todd. Did you know that? Bob Kane killed Jason Todd. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, the creator rights have been, have been a major problem in, in, in con- the comic community for, for forever now, and Conway's dealing with this right now. For one thing, what obligation do, do you guys think that the companies have to the creators of these characters and where do you think we should go from here? Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you because I know that you that you're pretty adamant about that, about this. So shoot it off. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and part of the problem and which is and Gary Conway lays this out that, you know, for years, as long as he was, you know, in charge, Paul Levitz made every effort you know, possible to be able to get royalties to the creators. Right. But then uh, when he stepped down and Warner started paying a lot more attention to DC, because uh, before that they were mostly hands off because eh, it's the comics division, who cares? Yeah. Then they started paying a lot more attention and paying a lot more attention to the possibilities of the superheroes and different media. And they made, it was no longer DC comics anymore. Now it's DC entertainment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Diane Nelson was heading it up. And that, you know, Warner's, it comes into the whole thing, you know, Warner's is a corporation and corporations are supposed to make money. And no matter how little it is, because creators have posted like they're not, you know, becoming multimillionaires because of royalties on their characters. But it is extra money that they wouldn't have. Oh, sure. And every little bit helps. So even though it's not like a massive knife to, to the bottom line. Warner's comes up with this whole process where they have to file before the character even appears. So, and he was talking about like, you could spit like, and you know, that takes time. So like, if you create as many characters as, you know, Gary Conway had, Oh my God, you could be all there all day filling out for the most obscure characters he created Mm -hmm. to, you know, jump on it before they even have the possibility of appearing. Yeah, like that th- that third character from the left from Action Comics to, that I that, from that issue of Action Comics that I wrote. Yeah, uh, uh, I have rights for him. Uh, so if he shows up in Flash, then give me money. Like that's what he re- literally has to do. Yeah, um, and I mean, I think it should be, just be you know a courtesy. If he's smart. He's doing that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I wouldn't I, sit on that and could just complain about it. I would actively complain well, about it and then still do it because if there is a process, that, I understand that. But I mean, I'm on Jerry's side. It is a really fucked up thing for the the way. If you read, it, go to his Tumblr post. It's on the Comic Timing uh, Facebook page. I posted it. Um, it is really fucked up. I will I will say that. But if if his course of action is just to complain about it and think it's going to change, he's wrong. If he wants to complain about it while he's filling out the forms, then he's doing the right thing. Because well, we there's a lot of bureaucracy in my that. job with the government. There's a lot of stupid things that I have to do that don't make sense. But you know what? I complain about it and do them anyway because that's the only way the job's going to get done. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. You I know? Cr- cr- Chris, rebuttal and then Donovan. Well, I mean, he could be filling that out we don't know but the his whole thing is that he just doesn't have the time to spend his the whole day doing that of course they're going to give him the runaround anyway yeah because that's how legal stuff works oh yeah yeah i mean these Um, these these guys uh pay pay legal more than any of us make in a day in in a month in a year so please so and so you know and he and he didn't expect for the post to go as viral as it did he was just, you know, uh, putting this out there. And plus, and it, I mean, it's interesting because, like, you know, how many modern comics fans really think of Gary Conway? You know, I Too mean, little. he wrote, he wrote, you know, uh, The Death of Gwen Stacy, 
And so they might know him for that, but he, you know, spent decades writing comics right. and creating a whole bunch of characters like, you know, Killer Croc. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Jason is, Todd. And Jason Todd, yeah. Sure. So he, you know, definitely, and I mean, it shouldn't be as hard as it is for these creators to get money. And, you know, like I said, they're not going to get super rich off of it, but it's going to help them to, you know, make their living. And especially because they did all this stuff freelance, you know, yeah. back before the, the time where, they started to take a little bit better care uh, of their creators, and we're in, and still not really there. I mean, it, it's that whole work for hire, you know, mor- molasses uh, <laughs> of the past uh, that we're still uh, sifting through. Yeah, I mean, like uh, even even as a even as a freelancer, even as a work for hire, I mean, you usually have to sign contracts which say which say not only what you make during this time is ours and ours alone but other things that you happen to think of if yeah. you think of them and you write them down while you're working on our project those could belong to us if we feel like it like yeah, that's whole, in any corporate environment with- dude that's oh yeah that's not just dc alone that's any corporation even the u.s you know even the u.s government has the same stipulations yeah. on their oh, employees. Yeah. Anything I'm not we saying think it's, of I'm while not we're saying it's for not, them dude. is theirs. Yeah, I'm not saying that, that that it's not. It's just that's that's the environment that that has been created over the years. Is essentially if you work for somebody, it's theirs, even if it has nothing to do with them. Sometimes. I've not heard about this from Marvel as much as I have from DC. Though I will say that aside from Marvel the doesn't stuff. pay their creators. <laughs> well, I mean, there's also the fact that like in the Silver Age, it was like virtually three guys. Yeah, uh, well, even that was an argument. <laughs> well, something something that was brought up was whether or not Marvel has ever had someone, you know, working to support the creators, like Levitz, like like Levitz did at DC. And the answer to that is not really. However, today, one thing that you see more often out of Marvel than you do with DC is creators of the comics working with the movie staff. You get that a lot more today than you did then. And yes, this is today's creators. I'm not talking about yesterday's creators. I'm talking about specifically today's creators. You right. get you get guys like Bendis and Warren Ellis and even Brubaker, uh, you know, being able to sit in on a meeting for the character that they helped build that uh, will wind up having a movie based on their story. You know, you see that a lot more. And because and of Craig that... Craig Kyle and Christopher Yost right, have, will have written two Thor movies. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And um, uh, Christos Gage is one of the writers on Daredevil. I saw. Yes, he is. Yeah, and uh, you see the special thanks in Marvel movies. I see a lot more special thanks in those yeah. to creators than I do in DC movies. Well, we haven't had many DC movies since as many as we've had Marvel movies recently. Right, but I'm, but thank I'm, you, Bob Kane. Oh God, please. <laughs> yeah, but no, I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking. You know, yes, I'm talking Green Lantern. I'm talking the the Batman movies and all that, and Man of Steel. You know, there weren't as many thank yous in that or special thanks in that than you would have saw in Marvel. But mind you, wonder why. Yeah, I mean, like, did you see a you know a special thanks to Greg Rucka because they used elements from from No Man's Land in in uh, Dark Knight uh, Rises, or Chuck Dixon for uh, Nightfall in Dark Knight Rises? Right. No, because that's that's not the way that DC works, and and they have no obligation to do so. Um, you Those least, guys did get paid from Bane, though. I remember seeing something recently saying they maybe did. it was Chuck Dixon on War Balloon saying he got something from Dark Knight well, Rises. Do we know when um, 
that that Levitt stepped down from DC Entertainment and Diane Nelson, like you know, kind of like fucked with the policy. Do we know when that was exactly? It was it, it was sometime in the two thousands. Yeah, it it was close to. Uh, Dark Knight Rises. It might have been slightly afterwards, actually, because I know that, like in, in Batman Begins and uh, TDK, uh, I remember it's t- speaking about this. I think it was with Michael Bailey, but like those guys legitimately did get compensated for like like the use of Mr. Zaz mm-hmm. with Alan Grant. Right. I don't think anybody's alive to t- take her for the Scarecrow, but like you know, yeah. those first two movies did get credit, and I just don't know about TD or uh, Dark Knight Rises. Well, and, and you talk about uh, you know people being alive, and that was my my next point, and you know Brent brought that up earlier, and I'll I'll bring it up again now. That going to the heirs of creators that have long since passed, uh, talk, talking about the, uh, the you know the Kirby uh, uh, clan and you know Siegel and Schuster's uh, descendants and all that, we know they had shit deals while they were around. You know that is that is way apparent. You know the, the deals that they signed when they did are a lot worse than the deals that are being signed today, and even the deals that Jerry Conway signed. Uh, you know. Back, back, you know, back 20, 30 years ago. But I, w- I would say, I would estimate, just plain guesswork, that the ironclad deals, uh, that the deals creators sign today mm-hmm. are probably more ironclad than, than allow for a lot less wiggle room in the future than anything that DC or Marvel, those guys signed back Absolutely. in the day. Please. Because of yeah. all the money they've had to pay out to those guys over the, the 75 years. That's a much different climate than it was then. Oh, yeah. No, and that that I'll agree with. It's just for me personally, for the most part, I give much more of a shit for the creators that are still alive today and can actually benefit directly to receiving royalties for projects than I do those that have long since passed. And it is their descendants, and it is their grandchildren and their grandchildren's children trying to reap the benefits off of the creators that have long since passed. Yeah, I think it's a question. It's it's like your personal ethics that kind of comes down to. Oh yeah. Like uh, in addition to you know the majority of the Batman stuff, Bill Finger co-created Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like only living descendant, I believe, is a granddaughter who only a few years ago realized that she was the daughter of the co-creator of Batman. So like, yeah. I think uh, each individual situation does kind of, you know, it does get a little bit more dependent on the, those particular characters, but yeah. uh, it's either like, you know, with money with Kirby's or, or the Schuster's or it's credit. Or in this case with uh, Jerry Conway, it's like, you know, you're using all these characters from the bronze age that we, that we legitimately created. And we used to have a policy that would, that would ensure some compensation. Yeah. And they wrote that off because corporation. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, and and for that like once you once you go to court once and you get money, I'm like, "All right, good. We got we got some we got some money off of that. That's great." When you then open up a second case and you're like, <laughs> "By the way, <laughs> yeah. Hey, we forgot to mention all this stuff. Uh so uh where's our money for that?" Like, "Okay, great. Uh you want to settle? Okay, fine. We don't want to deal with you." Oh, hey, look at that. A third case where we're demanding even more money off of off of this. It just it gets to the point where I'm like, do you e- have you even read the work that you're bitching about that you're not getting money from? Have you do you even give two shits about the comic community? Most of these heirs do not. I'm not saying all of them do because I know that that's not true. But there comes a point 
in the downward air spiral where it just feels like you're like going back to a corpse to try and get as much money out of them as you can possibly get. And it just it feels wrong to me after a while. And the Paris Hilton of comics. Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Thank you. Right, exactly. And and yes, I know that these creators did not receive the money that they were supposed to have received while they were young. But that doesn't mean that you can go in and 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 you know do it after the fact. It just it it just it feels something's not right there. Something is not right. I'd I'd much rather see people get theirs while they're around than they are when they're dead. That's what I'm trying to say, and that's the point I'm going to keep going back to. Right? Yeah, I think. I mean, like in that in, in that instance, the Kirby heirs are trying, like, legitimately trying to get money compensation for Spider-Man. Yeah. You know, because he drew the cover of Amazing Fantasy 15. That oh, means he please. no. Yeah. That that is that doesn't track. But Captain like, America you know, makes sense. Captain America makes a yeah. huge a huge bunch of sense to me. But the, yeah. but the Spider-Man thing was just fucking ridiculous. Well, yeah, and, and like not to not to like you know stray too far from the original point, like when like. Conway is in his 60s, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and he co-created many uh, 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 Marvel characters and DC characters. But it's also like, like, do the credit like, is it money or is it credit? Like, you know, I think credit ultimately would be a lot more of a long-lasting legacy. But at the same time, yeah. if you can help these people out, right? Like, what, what, what is it? Was it wasn't like the hero initiative or the hero thing? The, the, the hero, kind of, hero initiative, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was in, installed for something along these lines, mm-hmm. which I think. Uh, yeah. Not even a Marvel thing. Well, look, I'm not exactly sure which one's which. But, I'm, uh, I'm happy to see Marvel doing what they did for Bill Mantlo when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Did they pay for his bills, or they just show him the movie? I they, don't remember. Uh, <laughs> a little, a little of a, a little of b. Uh, yeah, yeah. What? Well, I mean, they paid I mean, to rent the movie. Like Matt, Matt Seneca did a, a great, and like there's two stories that spring to mind. One is uh, since he just passed away, Herb Trimpey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Who wrote that that great piece? And I think it was the New York Times. I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, about him in the 90s where he'd, you know, worked for Marvel uh, pretty much exclusively for a couple of decades. And he found himself out on his ass because of the, you know, shift in taste for art styles. Right. Yeah. Uh, and there was like, you know, and Marvel really, since he was a freelancer, Marvel really didn't give him anything. Yeah. And so he was in like his 50s, somewhere around there, having to, you know, apply for unemployment and try to find a new job. For himself and the comics industry was off for him because of you know and it's not his fault and I'm not trying to say like because I mean tastes do change oh sure of course so you know and it's just like a bad thing that happened yeah uh, that you know with the the shift in you know 90s uh, taste and art but but again like he didn't have like a, a cushion in place for him who was it that tried to draw like Liefeld in the 90s uh, I, I forget who it was uh, the artist that uh, I think it might have been him I know he okay. tried he tried some kind of uh, image influence style okay oh lord uh, yeah. he definitely changed it yeah um, and then there's Gene Colan uh, oh say yeah Matt Seneca did a great rundown of like all these you know uh, things that you know Gene Colan had a hand in creating mm-hmm and then as you know his health issues started to you know really pile up marvel like really didn't do anything to to really help him out on that yeah point and he was still living yeah i, I, I remember uh, the cgs I remember. interview where they yeah. talked to him and he basically stated that like most of his living was based off of commissions that he was doing yeah yeah exactly yeah mm-hmm. and that and that's the thing that's the, that's the great there's like you can say a lot of things about how um 
like how close the comic community is, like say a lot of things about that, some negative. The one thing that you can say is that the, the fans have really taken it on their shoulders uh, when it shouldn't completely be on their shoulders to really help out right. creators in the comic book industry. I hate to com- I hate to compare it to things like this, but working in the comic book industry is like being a wrestler. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I mean, once you're, once you're done in the wrestling industry, what do you have left other than to go to small wizard shows and sign autographs or, yeah. you know, like sling your old merchandise and, and guest starring in like, you know, B movies and C movies, uh, if you can, like, what else is there to do to make money? Because this was your life work, your 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 life in in a nutshell, and that job is over. You've got two options there: you either create a whole new existence for yourself, or you continue to live that life that you once did as best as you can. If you're if you're Hulk Hogan, somehow you're able to charge for your own panel to get into your own <laughs> panel at MegaCon. It's the most baffling thing I ever saw. Hulk Hogan had a panel Shit. on Saturday night at MegaCon, and it cost like. You know, I, the thing I saw was for sixty dollars to get in. Oh, now hell. that uh, that I think was the preferred seating, which is like the first six rows. Yeah. Or first, no, excuse me, rows four to six. Uh-huh. There was a VIP package that you had to be. That was the first three rows. <laughs> but after that, I think it was like twenty bucks to get in. And Jim is a big Hulk Hogan fan, and I'm like, do you want to go? Even for the cheap seats, he was like, nah, I gotta pay for it. Whatever. <laughs> Well, I, Kevin, I mean, okay. Kevin Smith panels are for pay at uh, at you know New York Comic Con occasionally, but those are events. Well, I'm in Orlando. I've, I've never seen anything like this, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, was it was the, it Hulk Hogan four, or the show charging? By the way, uh, Hulk. Uh, well, both probably. Okay. All right. But even even the apparently the Doctor Who panel that same day with a couple of uh, sidekicks or whatever you had to pay to get into that as well. That's that's those the, way, the that's only two <laughs> events put on by MegaCon. That you had to put into. It's not like Hulk Hogan, you know, organized it and tweeted about it and rented a ballroom himself. Yeah, right. No, Megacon organized it. Okay. And gave Hulk a, a portion of the proceeds or whatever the yeah. deal was. I haven't talked to you since since Megacon. Uh, t- just to sidetrack real quick. Uh, first off, uh, congrats on getting a photo with Stan the Man. I had to do it. He, I, when he turned ninety two um, in two thousand fourteen, I was like, holy shit, I gotta get this done. Yeah. Like, uh, I'm going to get, you know, one chance. Mm-hmm. So then when he was like, they were said he's coming to Megacon again, I'm like, that's it. I'm doing it. Got to get this done. Did you take that photo Check on top of Kirby's list. corpse or, or no? <laughs> huh? Did you take that photo no. on top of Kirby's corpse or no? If it was there, everybody was rolling through so fast, nobody saw Kirby's corpse <laughs> to even tell if it was there. So, no. <laughs> Excelsior. Nice. Uh, but what, what else did you do while you were there? Anything? Uh, we shopped pretty much, but okay. I was, we were there. I was pretty much there the entire day just for that picture with Stan. Nice, because he's ninety two and he could go at any minute, even though he's pretty spry. Yeah. Um, I went so. to I went to Mocha the same weekend that uh, that you were at MegaCon and uh, had a, had a good time there. I picked up uh, the first second Andre the Giant uh, biography comic that came out uh, not too long ago. That's been getting good praise. It was a New York Times bestseller. And uh, picked that up, and that looks really good. And, uh, you know, a couple other books here and there. But it was probably the most well-attended MoCA I've been to in, like, three or four years. They they changed venues again, and there were there was a line all the way down the freaking block to get in. It was crazy. 
Yeah, MegaCon was crazy packed. Like it, from Ian, from when you were here the last mm-hmm. the last time, yeah, it is probably doubled in size. Wow! And not just, I mean, the show's f- floor space is a little bit bigger, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. But what they had this year, which was different than the, I mean, I haven't been in five or six years. So Jim was had been the year before, and he was telling me um, about it, saying yeah. that. This year was way better organized because apparently last year you couldn't even walk through the aisles. And now it's owned by Fan Expo. Uh, right. Yeah. Um, but that has nothing to do with how they did it this year because that was kind of going down at the same time right. probably. Yeah. But anyway, so they had a gathering area like you walk in after you show your armband and there were no tables. It was just basically it was like a bunch of displays for the R2 builders and the Lego guys and the – you know, 501st, different Legion clubs had setups on the side. So it's basically like an area, I guess they've had a lot more, I mean, there's still people out in the halls, all the cosplayers taking pictures out there. So you didn't have to buy a ticket necessarily to go see a bunch of costumes. Yeah. But they were almost like trying to establish a place inside that you could do the same thing to to, to kind of, I guess, quell that scene, I guess you would say. At least that's the impression I got. So they just they bought a bunch of empty floor space, didn't even use it for tables, and it was just for gathering. It was kind of weird, that's, but that was full yeah. too. Wow, jeez. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's that's further proof that the uh, convention scene is like booming in a lot of uh, in a lot of places. Yeah, big time. Yeah. But our parking spot still works. Good. <laughs> that same parking spot you used when I was there. Yeah, I mean, I think that was y'all's hotel that you were staying at or whatever. Uh-huh. That's, yeah. that's what I did the last two times I've been. Nice. Works great. Nice. Yeah, if only if only that damn steak place was still there. Then I, then I, 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 I probably would have been back three or four times now at this point. But <laughs> now well. Um, Donovan, what did, what did you want to say uh, before we sidetracked? I was just going to mention that Chris mentioned uh, Bill Mantlo. Mm-hmm. When Norm Bravefogel had a stroke, Yeah. DC announced that they were going to do their uh, – Legends of the Dark Knight collection with Norm Bravefogel artwork collected, mm-hmm. and the proceeds would go to his hospital bills. Nice. And that sounded like a uh, sort of a volunteer from DC kind of thing rather than some sort of like policy. So I thought that was right. kind of cool. And I like that fact that like they took that into consideration. And it's interesting that like in those extreme situations, they'll, they'll at least in that situation, they'll kind of you know, go up to bat for the artist. But uh, yeah. generally speaking, when it comes to, like just basic money, they're going to kind of. Sh- at least the, in the company policy will kind of shy away from it. Well, that's the difference between DC Comics and those who work there versus DC Entertainment. That's right. That's right. right yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the there's plenty of good people that still work for DC Comics. Then there's Warner Brothers. But... Who uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't? Yeah, exactly. There's some very, very different things going on there. I just want to touch up real quick before we move to Convergence on the Joker image, since I'm confused now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, the first image that came out... Uh, there have been a few set photos that were blurry, and like you saw a screen on Jared Leto's uh, phone of of a picture of him in in a cell that like sort of looked like it was him. But then they released this official photo of the Joker with all of these tats and a freaking tattoo that said "damaged" on his forehead, <laughs> and, and a J teardrop, and a J teardrop, and and. and- Two smile tattoos, one on his yeah. hand and the other one on the opposite arm. Yeah, and ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha-ha <laughs> all over his arms, and I think a Lincoln Park LP that tied into all this. Um, but uh, it, Crawling in my skin. Yeah, and then this was official, like, from the movie thing, and then, like, 
four or five days later, there's a report that comes out from a website saying, yeah, the tattoos aren't actually in the movie. That was just supposed to be uh, a tribute to the Joker anniversary, which nobody officially ever said. So what the so hell did, is going on? <laughs> well, they did say happy anniversary in in the tweet. Right. But they didn't say, but <laughs> but they didn't specify. No, right. they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh so I mean it, it it definitely looked looked like those tattoos were on his body. Uh-huh. Unless they're Photoshop wizards or, or something. Or they could well no, uh, they could have easily applied makeup just for this one shot. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like that 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 I'm not denying. It's just the fact but that like, as as a seventy fifth Joker shot, yeah. That fits those the tattoos that he has fit a lot more than just in general. Right. It's just ah, man, like DC's PR guys need to be taken outside and given a talking to. With a <laughs> shotgun. <laughs> well, I, I wouldn't quite go that far. Maybe a pistol. But no, just just this this feels like like failure from the ground up. Just because you're kind of jerking us around, yeah. Yeah, like you if you want to do a tribute image, do a tribute image. Label it as such. Say, you know, Jared Leto dressed up in in honor, like put out a full goddamn press release with the image attached to it. Not not a random tweet from the guy doing the movie with happy anniversary. Like you're you're gonna have you can't the do entire that in 140 characters though. Well, they don't do it on Twitter or link but to the damn post. But Ian, that is the thing that everybody has to do now is <laughs> do it on Twitter. Why did I speak so funny? I have no idea. I don't know why. But I mean, <laughs> are, you like having, Zach, are, you, are you having a stroke? Zack Snyder's doing his whole damn thing. Everything he releases is on Twitter. Right. But uh, every other thing I think we've seen has been from Twitter, 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 Twitter. Sure. Twitter. That is the social media of choice now. It's not Facebook. It's not MySpace. It's Twitter. But you know you can link to a fuller post in Twitter that explains 100% the image that you're talking about as opposed to just writing two words, which is way below the 140-character limit you have for Twitter to begin with? Yes. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I mean, I'm not arguing know. Twitter versus a full website yeah, with you. I but. Know. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should know how just laser-sharp focuses with people to see movie news. Right. Like they, they should, they should have, they should have known that people would immediately jump on that and think that oh, this is the Joker that's going to be in Suicide Squad. And they saw how people reacted to freaking Heath Ledger back when that was released originally. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah I remember that. I yeah, remember that. like yeah. the shitstorm that came out from that one stupid image, and he barely even looked like that in the movie. <laughs> but but people... I think that they 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 dialed back the the makeup that okay so. I on the comic timing feed. If you're listening to this in hindsight, yeah, uh, find the Joker image post, and then I think below when we're talking about it, I posted the original did, Heath yeah. Ledger Joker. You did, yeah. Which he has a lot more makeup on that picture than he ever did in the movie. I agree with that. And people were like flipping out. I, I thought the scars <laughs> were cool, but people hated the scars. Yeah, they hated Heath Ledger, and it turned out to be the best decision they'd made in casting. Yeah. In years, the only superhero performance that's won an Oscar so far, and, and just like and just like anything, things are going to look different in motion than they are in a, in a static image. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, like. Well, just, this is pretty clear. Well, yeah, but but you know, Jared Leto, I think Jared Leto is actually a really good casting decision for Joker because he oh, yeah. he he can be a very emotive, emotional actor. 
and I think he could do a very good job with the Joker. I just I just don't want this shit this sort of shitstorm to keep happening over and over again. Or else I would have to turn off Twitter. And and I admit half the time I'm being snarky too because it's fun <laughs> to jump in because snarky is my middle fucking name. <laughs> But I'm not I'm not going to be, you know, like, this is the worst thing in the world. Oh, no. What am I going to Ugh. do but from one fucking image? That's just stupid. Oh, because I saw that. Like, I saw this and I was like, I can get, I mean, I can, you know, before I realized that I was, I, I had been had, like, I, was, I, I can get behind this. It's different, but yeah, I'm sure he'll wear a shirt yeah. half the time. And like, <laughs> the moment I said that, like, a bunch of, you know, a, guy, a bunch of guys online were just like, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Like, like, like the Joker can't wear tattoos because he always cares about what he looks like. It's just like, Jesus Christ. Look, look Donovan, you don't understand. It's about ethics and photography, okay? <laughs> well said. They don't care about what he looks like. They never obviously read any Grant Morrison Joker stories. Yeah. Or the one where he yeah, exactly. <laughs> or what one he looks like right now. smile into his face for yeah. no reason. And what he looks like now in the comics with a freaking, like, half a face missing. Face ripped off, yeah. Yeah, come on, please. <laughs> God. Uh, oh, sigh. 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 I really I really hated that day where, like, I, I just saw a bunch of people kill, killing themselves over this image. That was really just depressing. Yeah. I know. And, uh, and, and they didn't actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Chris, just because we're such good friends, Fantastic Four is going to suck. All right, so let's... Uh, uh, it's going to well, be better than so, Avengers Age of Ultron. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, no, no. Get out of here. <laughs> so, so I would be okay, honestly. I, I would be okay. I think the biggest joke would that be if we've been had, and that tweet was total bullshit. Yeah, and that is the look of the Joker. That eh? Who know? Who 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 freaking knows, man? We'll see the movie soon enough, or at yeah. least, or at least you will. If personally, you I'll be okay with it because, look, you have classic Jack Nicholson Joker, who's like the epitome of Silver Age. Exactly. And then you have to move far away from that for Dark Knight, and it's super real world aesthetic yeah, right now we're a little bit more comic booky but we're a little you know we're also trying to be Zack Snyder-ish or whatever that means mm. so <laughs> you can't but Heath Ledger's already done what he's done he's already won the Oscar for it he's already been ruled as the best Joker ever outside of Mark Hamill in some circles you know what I mean so what are you going to do to distinguish your performance and your character from from any of those uh, visually I don't know Maybe the tattoos is the way to do it. It certainly fits if he's sitting in well, Arkham Asylum kind of... with a pen that he's waiting to kill a guard with. He might draw something on himself. I don't know. But he did a pretty good job if he did. Well, everyone's forgetting that like, uh, that, like his, his uh, skin is permanently bleached now, which, I, which I, I, it took me a minute. I was like, oh, wait, he actually does have like the skin and hair like, from the comics as opposed to just like the paint. Yeah. I'm down with the skin. I'm, I'm down with the skin so being bleached and yeah. stuff like that. If Michael Jackson can get as white as he did... Uh, so can the Joker. Right. So you're saying it's realistic? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, 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 and he doesn't look like he's. And he doesn't look like he's. And he, and he doesn't look like he's suffering from Bell's palsy, like the thing in the Fantastic Four movie. All right, so let's move on. Uh, <laughs> you to, mean like how he looks like the original Jack Kirby depiction of the thing in Fantastic Four number one? Yeah, not really. Oh, you mean when Jack Kirby couldn't draw? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Also, uh, the original depiction of the thing didn't have him as like you know nine feet tall, but that's he uh, looked like Clayface. Not rocks. <laughs> I think the movie will be fine. Whatever you say. I, I'm not really invested in it, but I think it'll be fine. I'm not the, I'm, the only thing I'm invested in is that it comes back to Marvel, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> There's such an agenda over that. I've heard you say that before. You're damn yeah, right. Because everybody knows that uh, not having variety is a great thing. Uh, <laughs> we, could, we could still have variety that way, man. I just, look, 
I, I haven't seen it from the movie so far. Well, that's your opinion. It, 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 yes, no. it is. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and you're entitled to it. And for all I know, Fantastic Four could tum- come out and be amazing. I just, I'm not impressed from the generic looking sci fi movie that I've seen. One so year long. later, Fantastic Four and Batman vs. Superman is Ian's favorite movies in the world. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't <laughs> think number two is going to be the case. Uh, that much is almost guaranteed. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see where this goes. And you're entitled to that opinion as well. Yes, I am. You're damn right I am. And that Man of Steel was Drek. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's talk about uh, Convergence a little bit. Uh, Brent, you've read the main series, so I'll let you talk first. How's it doing it for you? And for that matter, what the fuck is it about? So <laughs> the main series is kind of like an, a continuation of Earth's Two World's End. So since the last comic timing, I've, I've finished that story mm-hmm. and uh, i've all finished future's end as well which future's end ended so shittily let me just <laughs> touch on this for a moment so future's end th- the penultimate issue has them defeating brother i okay. and they say oh great great terry we're gonna send you back to the future and they send terry or not terry mcginnis he because he died um great they, send? they still send red robin tim drake for some Yum. reason even though he's not from the future, he has to go to the future to complete the mission or whatever. I don't okay. quite understand it. Okay. So they end that issue with him being in like this Garden of Eden. So it's like, okay, cool, we, we did it. <laughs> and then turns out that the very last issue is them – it's Brother I. It's a hologram. And he's like, ha-ha, I got you. You changed nothing. And then Terry McGinnis meets up – or not Terry. God damn it. Them and beyond <laughs> – Meets up with a local band of freedom fighters and says, "We're gonna fight him!" Yeah, and it ends as they're like running in to face all these stupid cyborgs and shit. And it was like, this miniseries was a complete waste of time. You um, monster! You blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> Damn you! And, Damn you all to hell! Earth Two Futures End ended with the that Earth blowing into a million pieces and humanity running away in ships, a la Battlestar Galactica. Oh, funsies! Um. Take that Sounds as like a Spider-Man Unlimited cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Although, no, the Spider-Man Unlimited uh, cartoon, Earth didn't blow up. Well, I mean, like, 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 the, the, like a hero who's displaced in time, or, or at least right. in the areas, that must fight a cause on another planet and team up with a bunch of futuristic people. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So, so to, say, to speak about Earth 2, um, they're kind of the main characters in this Convergence Weekly series. So that's why I had to speak about them, because you're kind of... You kind of don't know who everybody is if you didn't read that because okay. Dick Grayson is in con- the Convergence series Earth 2 Dick Grayson talking about his dead wife who was Barbara Gordon, which you learned in that series. And he also had a kid who he talks about a lot, which okay. you learned in that series. But you can't read Convergence without really knowing all this other stuff. Which so is it's, why I'm glad you can read the weird. tie-ins without knowing that. Is this like, is this like, like, like middle-aged Robin Earth 2 Dick Grayson? Yeah, yeah, he's like in his late 20s or something like that. He's he's grown. It, it, it's it's not well. Again, this is a different Earth Two, New Fifty Two Earth. Okay, two so it's not like is, pre-crisis Earth Two. Right, exactly. This, no, no, this no, is no. New Fifty Two Earth Two with the you know New Fifty Two Earth Two. Dick Grayson is like a cop, I think. Okay, because yeah. I was about to say like 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 that version of Dick Grayson never got married. So yeah, never mind. Yeah, well, th- th- this is this is the one with uh, with you know a young uh, uh, Alan, you know, young Alan Scott and young uh, Jake Garrick okay. and all that jazz. Yeah. So yeah, so they're trying to find a way to defeat Telos. They dig a hole into the ground, find who was the guy that 
the silver-haired dude with the Thor helmet and fought <laughs> dinosaurs down below the Earth. Okay. Oh, Warlord. Yeah, there you go. Warlord. Apparently, they found Warlord's realm in the bottom of this Telos planet, and some other guy named Deimos showed up in the last issue I read, so mm-hmm. I have no fucking clue. <laughs> <laughs> So th- there's just a whole know. there's a whole bunch of different uh, characters showing up. Some that we actually want to see, and some that we don't. No, right now it's like the continuing adventures of the Earth Two cast. God damn it! <laughs> you know when when Convergence was originally pitched, I, I they really made it sound like it was just going to be all of the you know pre New Fifty Two Earths, and that they would be the ones dealing with this shit and not. Ian, I made this recommendation last episode. Countdown Arena. Scott McDaniel (laughs) art, four issues, double-sized. You're in, you're out. You've got all the battles you wanted to see. Right, but but here's the difference. Here's the difference between Countdown Arena and what we're getting here with Convergence is that, like like I said before, in the individual Convergence titles, you're actually getting to see characters you haven't seen in a while. And... I'm perfectly okay with that because uh, this has reminded me just how much I like pre-New 52 and uh, how much I'm not going to continue reading DC after Convergence. Tell me also, that. if you read anything related to Countdown, your soul's damned to hell. That's so. true. That's a true story about that, actually. I, I, I Look it up. It's actually like in the Bible. Like Somehow it got written in there. Hey, Earth-51 Batman was really cool in that series. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> So, so the only the thing that I don't like the thing I like least about these convergence tie-ins these these two shots yeah. is that each issue has the same fucking dialogue taken up the same like four pages from from, from Telos yeah you know sometimes it's at the very beginning of the issue which I I don't know which I like better and sometimes it's at like the very end of the issue mm-hmm. so. It's kind of a toss-up, so I just give that dialogue anytime I see it. Oh, it's, here's that lettering again. I know what that <laughs> says. I can move on, skip a few pages. Yeah, especially if you're reading them all in one chunk, then you're just reading the same fucking dialogue over and over again. Yeah, I read a couple today, and I was kind of like reading them in, in a chunk at lunch, and I was like, this sucks. Yeah. Um. So, so what's been your favorite uh, tie-in so far? Well, not Shadow of the Bat. I thought that would be cool because Azbats would be in it, but he's barely in the costume. It's he's, like, in, he's in half of it. Three in quarters the of the issue, he's if he's in the costume, you're not seeing him. Three quarters of the issue, he's as Gene Paul Valley riding around with Bruce Wayne. They're trying to infiltrate some stupid like mob squad. Like number one, Bruce Wayne, if he lost his powers under the dome, which he do- wouldn't because he's a human, would still have his matches Malone identity to go under as right like right. he shouldn't be infiltrating the mob as bruce wayne he should be doing his matches malone <laughs> I, I agree with that yeah but and then gene paul valley who gives a fuck like show me the costume i'm not reading it for gene paul valley i'm reading it for the costume well you got the costume near the end and i'm sure you'll get it a lot more in issue two but i damn well better i'm gonna be super pissed you want to know what my favorite part of this issue was the shadow of the bat was a, a character, and again, this is only a reference you'll get if you live in New York. There was a character named Erasmus Hall, and Erasmus Hall is a high school three blocks down from where I live. Uh, that that's one of the oldest high schools in Brooklyn, and uh, is now split up into three individual like science high schools as a way to try to revive the thing because it was one of the shittiest high schools in in Brooklyn. For- <laughs> So uh, yeah, that 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 made me chuckle a little bit because I know that Larry Hama is a New York uh, 
uh, you know, resident. So that was that was kind of fun. But issue itself was okay. I, the, the art was nice, though. I did like the art. Art was great. The, the other thing I don't like about this is it seems like everything is pre-Flashpoint Gotham City or pre-Crisis Gotham City or you know, pre-zero hour metropolis. It's like nobody was in coast city when this stuff happened. Like we can't have pre flashpoint central city or it's the most contrived the thing in this whole thing. Yeah. I realized that those are the two big cities, but like, you know, nobody was in New York before one of these issues. And it's like every, it's, it's almost like every character from that moment in time is in this city. I, I, you know, man, if they, if they had gone with like pre 52 Opal, that would have been fucking awesome for me, you know, because then we would have gotten like actually no pre uh, actually pre zero hour Opal would have been just as good because you probably would have wound up getting uh, Starman in there, so uh, that would that would have been fine. But uh, yeah, it, it's a little contrived. I'll give you that much, Donovan. Which uh, tie-ins have you read, and which which have you liked? Uh, the first batch, the first week, like the pre Flashpoint, mm-hmm. I got like near. I was really excited. I got nearly all of them. Except for Justice League and Harley Quinn, mm-hmm. and like I'm not really reading much DC anymore. I, I kind of come back a bit. I'm reading and reviewing Batgirl for Batman Universe, but yeah. like, um, uh, the b- best one was the question by Greg Rucka. I, yeah, I agree with that. That was awesome. Her and Two Face. That was like wow. This is really, and it was. I wasn't even that much into it, but I just picked it up and I was like, damn, that was great. The one I was most excited for was the Batgirl one because Cassandra Cain is like my favorite character in the world, and I was disappointed. <laughs> It was okay. Yeah, it wasn't great. It wasn't. It wasn't great. Like they, you know, there's the same her and Stephanie arguing over over to eat a guinea pig, which is just bizarre well, as fuck. You know what? Why couldn't they? I mean, and yes, I'm sure he's busy because he because he works on TV. But if they've got if they had gotten Brian Brian Miller back, uh, to, I don't know why they didn't. Yeah, to, to, to they, that would have been great. Well, they clearly gave the gave the job to a writer who didn't know the characters as well. Yeah, like the last time we see Stephanie Brown, she's all smiling and happy. So. The first thing fans want to see her when she comes back is her being very mopey and, you know, self-deprecating. Yeah. It, it was like, 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 I appreciate the effort, and it is nice to see the characters again, but it, it really just shows how DC does not really get why we like the characters we like. Uh, but, you know, that, that, you know I, I read the Wally one that was fun. I read the Superman one that was fun. Uh, the next week I read, I think the only one I picked up was Shadow of the Bat. Mm-hmm. I will ask you this, though. Why do you think they didn't do a Tim Drake Convergence one in the 90s? He had his own title. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, they did Superboy. And uh, and Superboy was actually much better than I was expecting it to be. Um, that 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 I actually enjoyed a lot. Like that's that's in my top five so far. But, I'm sure I'm sure Dixon is still pissed at them. But they could have gotten Fabian the size of a fake it like he did in his run of Robin. So well, uh, Nicieza actually uh, wrote the Superboy. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, so, so he was, he was yes, busy. yeah, so he was on that at least. So he's at least involved in one way. But the Jurgens Superman from that first week, mm-hmm. that's. Probably still my favorite out of the entire. That was very bunch. good. I was, I was impressed. Yeah. The uh, the Green Lantern Corps with Guy Gardner, the pre crisis Green Lantern Corps, was really cool. Okay. Cool. I'd never read any of those issues, but that was well done. By like I said, by friend of the show Dave Gallagher. I'm waiting for that to come in my latest my latest DCBS uh, shipment. But I'll I'll let Dave know that you enjoyed it. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Did you read the uh, the Wally West one? I did, and it it was okay. Uh, Tony Bedard, I'm um, hot and cold on. I mean, I've, I mind you, like I've. I liked all of Rebels that he, when he wrote that. Uh, that was that was good back in the day, and I've been okay with some of the other stuff that he's written. Didn't this he one, also write that shitty Doom Patrol. No, that wasn't him. Okay, Doom Patrol was the Dio dude. <laughs> oh, I thought Dio did Outsiders. Uh, he did do. He did as well. He ruined that book. Yes. Uh, yeah, Chuck Dixon should have never left. <laughs> he did pick up after Chuck Dixon on on that one. Uh, yeah, but 
the the book was okay. I I mainly just enjoyed seeing Wally again. You know. Yeah, like, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Uh, the it's an interesting point of time where they chose to pick these people out from pre fifty two because it's definitely before Final Crisis. Uh, at least I think it is because Wally's in a, Wally's in the wrong outfit. Well, there's, there's, I think he was in that, 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 uh, that miniseries outfit so briefly because like a final crisis was that, that would happen like, uh, after RIP, the, the Batgirl one was clearly like the last time we saw them, there were these costumes like with red Robin and mm-hmm. black bat, all that kind of stuff. Right. And, and Batman was alive. So that's, yeah. that's one thing. It's just, it's weird because he kept, he kept talking as if Barry was still dead. I feel like, and oh, read it. yeah. And yet and yet he was wearing his old costume and his kids still had their powers. So, because, I mean, by the, t- by the time uh, things were said and done with, uh, with Barry returning, his, his daughter was Impulse and his son no longer had powers. Well, again, like, you know, did Tony Bedard know, like, was he around when that Wally was still being a character in, in D.C.? Like, they should oh, get yeah. to the Last guy. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, no, he was, uh, he, was, he was definitely still writing for DC at th- that time. It's just, I guess they decided that they wanted to do something, you know, before Barry was back. And again, I'm perfectly fine with that because I'm more of a Wally guy. But the, the, yeah. the, the story itself was okay. Um, again, a little contrived that he wound up in the city. Titans, um, I picked up. The Wolfman one? Uh, no, just straight one up. One-armed arsenal. Yeah, yeah, the one, one, oh, yeah. yeah one-armed arsenal. Uh, <laughs> Bizarre. It's Armsenal. <laughs> Sweet. And I shockingly enjoyed that issue. I want to see them redeem themselves from like Rise of Arsenal because that miniseries blew. Oh, it was terrible. I, I mean, come on. Anybody, anybody who's been listening to comic timing for a few years knows just how much we hated Dawn of Justice and uh, and the whole Rise of Arsenal. No, no, no. The movie's not come out yet. Cry, cry for Justice. Cry for, cry for justice. Sorry, cry for justice. My bad. Sorry. The art was fantastic. The story was five awful. star fruit and slip. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. <laughs> I'm but, still holding out hope. Yeah. The trailer was crap, but I mean, hey, it's a teaser. What do you want? Yeah. The trailer was glorious. The trailer was interesting, if hilariously grimdark. <laughs> when Batman stepped out of the fire, I was That's like, cool. "Is that a CG Batman? <laughs> it didn't look like real Batman. He didn't he look like a CG. toy." He did look like an action like, figure. What? What the hell? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and by the way, uh, uh, shock of shocks, I enjoyed the uh, convergence Green Lantern parallax because uh, Kyle, motherfucker. I would like to know. Um, I'm never. I've never talked to the guy, but I'd like to know what would Raph thought about the Adam one because they're concentrating on uh, what happened to Ryan Choi. And I remember he was really upset several years ago when, yeah. when uh, Deathstroke killed him. I'll, I'll ask him next time I, next time I talk to him because I'm, sh- I'm sure he read it uh, in one way or the other and I'm sure he probably enjoyed it just just having him back for a little bit. And yeah, there was one other, well, let's see, I, I, yeah, it was so-so on the Batgirl. Uh, again, Stephanie Brown, nice to see her back, but so-so. Uh, I read uh, Convergence Nightwing and Oracle. Oh, yeah. Which was okay. Yeah. I read that one. Yeah, I, it was okay. It, it was it's it's the best writing I've seen from Gail Simone in a few years because I can't stand her writing, but uh, it it was decent. I I am a fan of Gail Simone, and uh, this was not great, but it was good. And I'm I'm hoping that we get a lot more Oracle in the second issue than we got in this first one because well, the, 
yeah. the thing about this one was that like she's such a shipper for Dick and Babs that like at one point Dick literally calls her true love, and that is just insipid. <laughs> like, don't do that. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, look uh, from from my perspective, they kind of make a lot more sense than than him and Starfire. But uh, I know that there are people who think otherwise. But you know, well, it's so. funny that like uh, in the in the uh, new Teen Titans conversion they did, which was written by uh, Marv Wolfman and Nicholas Scott drew it. Mm-hmm. Dick, because because they're under the dome, Dick and Corey are married. That's funny. Which, which, which I thought was interesting. I think they I, they should really meet each other. I, I think at some point during Convergence here, I would love to see that Dick and and uh, that Corey meet uh, the other Dick and uh, and Bar and Babs and be like, oh hey hey hey, different redheads, go figure. Be like wheelchair wheelchair or hot orange babe. <laughs> mm. Decisions, decisions. Yeah. Let's think about this. And uh, I read Supergirl Matrix also. How was that? That was, again, shockingly good. Uh, Keith Giffen wrote it, so, you know, there's no problems with Giffen in my mind. He he usually turns out solid stuff. But as a kid of the 90s, this was absolutely what I wanted it to be. Uh, I I was a fan of the relationship between Matrix and uh, Lex Luthor 2, at the time in the night. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's plenty of that going on here plus there's Lady Quark and uh and whatever the name of her prince was and uh that was that was okay but uh mostly it was just a Supergirl action that was that was cool to see. What's awful is that they actually called that issue Matrix Supergirl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like they called Asbats issue Shadow of the Bat. Uh-huh. They didn't call it Asbats. Yeah. But they called her Matrix Supergirl. Is that calling it Spider-Gwen or something? A fan. <laughs> Well, I mean, still, like, Green Lantern Parallax, you know, they, they did that there, which makes sense, because both Green Lantern and Parallax are in the issue. But uh, there was, oh, there was one other, oh, yeah, uh, the The Super- Adventures of Superman was pretty good. The pre-crisis Superman and headband Supergirl go into the Phantom Zone and try to find a way out of the dome. That was a pretty good issue. That was the other one that they pointed out. It wasn't actually called Adventures of Superman until after Crisis, and yet that one's called Adventures of Superman because they ran well, out of titles. Well, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I know. Whatever. I, it, it's in my DCBS shipment, so I'll be reading Better that, than Matrix uh, Supergirl. Yes, I agree with you. Uh, but yeah, overall, pretty decent with the Convergence titles, and uh, from the sounds of things, I can just skip Convergence. Well, let me ask you guys something. Who exactly... I mean, obviously us, but like... How much legs do you think this miniseries? Obviously, this is kind of a distraction when they move, but like, mm-hmm. this is clearly meant for us who are the only ones, more so than the company, that cares about DC's history and likes it. True that. And like, I heard that it's not really selling very well. Do you think that like this kind of like throwing us a bone is actually kind of you know bad for the company? Well, in that like uh, they're not really. It's such a limited audience that they're giving this to. I think I think it's bad that uh, it screams of two month diversion, uh, which is exactly what it, what it is. I mean, as they move shop from New York to California, um, you know, this is this is what they decided to do, and that's all well and good. But just like with any of these sort of events, if you t- just cut away from the regular stories that are going on and you replace it with something that you know is not going to be around very long, and you can probably wind up skipping, you're going to wind up skipping it. It's, it's like the fifth week events from, from days of old. You know, uh. you know, you know like, like when they wound up uh, you know, having like sidekicks month, and it was all about you know, like Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen and stuff like that. Like you could easily skip those issues and, and be okay. You know, or like when annuals would come out. You know, oftentimes, annuals could be skipped because they weren't part of the, the regular story going on. That's what happened here. If if DC had decided 
and I, I knew that this wasn't going to be the case, but like if DC had decided that this was going to be the launching pad for the return of Pre-52, uh. then that would have gotten people to buy this. But that's not going to happen. And, and I'm, I'm, I've accepted that at this point. You know, until they come out and you know straight up say one day that like, well, failed experiment. See you guys later. Uh, don't don't let the door hit you on the way out. Uh, we're we're going back to old. Which again, that that was going to wind up happening. No one's going to buy this, but the diehards that are truly missing pre fifty two and are reading new fifty two. So that that's what is, I is feel. it is it shame though because like um, I think so. What really differentiates DC from Marvel is that that huge legacy that they really put time and energy and built up and really had people invested in that like, like like the continuity that they put in there was really a continuity and that made you a whole universe mm-hmm. so when they renege on that for new 52 we then bring this back for an instant it is kind of like playing ransom with your heart oh yeah uh, absolutely well <laughs> it kind of like, sucks especially since i mean brent i'm sure you'll probably agree with this man is that like we're, we're getting these like quote-unquote one year later stories it they're cock teases the whole things are cock teases because you know that these characters are just going to go away again in two months yeah I'd almost rather them, instead of having them fight other characters, like just tell a story of them living under the dome. That yeah. would have been just fine. Exactly. I agree. I'm sure Stephen King would have enjoyed it. And not be angsty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris, I know you're not reading these, but uh, well, I mean, what, what in general, what, what is what is your take on the sort of stopgap event? Like, I mean, I, like they're so easy to skip. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and especially like with this, the thing that struck me about it is that, well, from what I assumed it was going to be when I first heard about what the Convergence miniseries Mm -hmm. is that it was going to be something that really meant something to DC continuity. Right. With all these, you know, DC continuity one shots. And I was surprised that they brought in some dude from TV to write it. Yeah. And now that makes a lot more sense hearing what Brent had to say. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, especially since like this, this is just a essentially it's an Earth Two miniseries with some yeah, tie-ins exactly, yeah. attached to it, and and I feel kind of and I feel because for those of you who may remember my voice, <laughs> um, may remember that there was a Marvel character that had a new Fifty Twoing happen to him. No idea what you're talking about. Who? What? That I was quite vocal about. Thwip. What? So you're going to get the Secret Wars miniseries, right? I'm going to tell you one thing. After your powers, I'm gone. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's – so I understand the um, position you guys are in of being very invested in DC pre-New 52. Yeah. And now you have all these, you know, one-shots that are revisiting the characters. Right. Of that period. Some with the original creators or at least creators related to that character. Sure. And now it's going to be gone in a couple months. Yeah, and that whole feeling of if you want to even if you want to revisit, and what was the point in the end? I, I cracked up when at the end of Greg Rucka's uh, question issue, Batwoman showed up. It's like, okay, yeah, here, here's here's everything I wanted to do with Batwoman. Like, let me get it out in two issues because I'm never going to be able to do it. See you guys later. Was she married? Sure. That was, <laughs> Batwoman, where you been? Just on my honeymoon. I got married. Yeah, right. <laughs> Oh, not that's you. great. Yeah. Not to you, Renee. <laughs> God, but I moved on. But 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 seriously, Chris, you're you're, you're gonna pick up uh, the, the the married Spider-Man, right? 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 You gonna uh, do it? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? You, I know I, I know, know you're gonna fucking do it. 
Here's what's going to happen with that, though. It's like, like, like here's a mirror Spider-Man, guys. Here's what, here's what we want you, want you want to see. Whoa! And then, like, by like the last issue, it's like, well, I guess he and his daughter, her and her daughter, are dead. So Spider-Man can't be married. Well, Basically, telling you that you've wasted your life caring about this character well, when he was married. It helps that Dan Slott is writing it, okay? Because no, it doesn't. Okay, first off, fuck you. Uh, well, se- second of all, he does uh, not like the marriage, though. Uh, Damn, dude, that was like Batman versus Superman levels of. Reaction from you, to Todd. <laughs> well, well, look, no, no, no. The, the the thing, the thing about Dan Slott, and, and actually, no, I've heard, I've heard varied things about Dan Slott when it comes to the marriage. Actually, I, I Dan Slott respects it a hell of a lot more than than other people at Marvel do. And, uh, <laughs> no. Hey, look, dude. I mean, I, I've, I, I know that he that he is a type of guy. Just reading, just reading Spider Verse. Even he's a type of guy who knows history. And is willing to revisit it. I think you have a lot more faith in Dan Slott than I do. <laughs> well, then I do because I enjoyed Spider Verse a hell of a lot. So I'm looking at Sp- Spider Verse was fun, out. but like his his uh, written bits, the main series, in my opinion, was the weakest. And I, th- I mean, Marvel's made it clear that they do not care about the marriage. So like, I think that even though Dan Slott's writing it, he's not going to go away from that. Eh. No matter Chris, what is on if the. If there's on the one thing, headline. Chris, if there's one thing you need to read, it's Spider Verse. I have heard good n- things about Spider-Verse, yeah. yeah. It has no mention of the marriage, and <laughs> the only Spider-Verse tie-in you need to read is uh, where Ultimate Spider-Man and uh, Miles Morales and Ultimate Spider-Man from the cart- crappy-ass cartoon yes. go to the 60s Spider-Man cartoon world. <laughs> That's the only other... Read the main miniseries, but... Definitely seek that out because that was hilarious. How could we possibly find where the Daily Bugle was? It's the only building with a sign. <laughs> <laughs> All these buildings look the same. Are we going in circles? And and just just for you, Chris, I will point out that Spider Girl is a is a main character in Spider Verse. She's involved. She's she's she there. <laughs> she's there. Donovan, let me finish talking. And there is a tie-in written by our man. DeFalco. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, that that that, that is something to, to try maybe in uh, in in trade or something like that uh, somewhere down the road. Maybe. Oh, I've got Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Well, there you so. go. Yeah, boom. Yeah. You, can, you can start reading it when it's available in six months. So, boom, yes. boom, shaka waka, <laughs> make it happen there, and you don't have to pay them any extra money. So it's like you're reading them for free. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Any final thoughts, guys? Or, or, or have we, uh, to, to, to steal a phrase, shot our bolt? I'm just glad we actually uh, talked about comics in one episode of yeah. this show. No, it's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's been a while. I, I know. It's, it's been mostly media the last couple of episodes. Yeah, no, and, and, and speaking of which, our next episode will be about a media, so go figure. We'll have an episode, like I said, probably in about another week or two about uh, Age of Ultron, uh, Chris's favorite movie, so we'll look forward to that. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have at least one or two other people on who have seen the film to be determined but uh before we wrap things up uh donovan uh anything you want to plug oh yeah a few things a bit uh first thank you again for having me on the show yeah no problem um i would like to because it's, it's a fairly new show although it's been around for a year i'm part of a podcast called the comic book film review oh, cool. where we we just review uh monthly comic book film uh, movies and because of the daredevil movie in april or the daredevil series we did review uh Daredevil 2003. Director's cut? Um, we talked about both versions. Okay. okay. It's like me, me and like three other people. And we're, we're not nearly as hard on that film as a lot of people tend to be. Um, I mean, we, we acknowledge that it's not perfect, but we, we're, we're a bit defensive about it. But, you know, we, 
have fun talking about it. Um, you find us at played a lot of Evanescence. <laughs> well, I did edit it, so I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> nice. Um, you can find that at CBR. No, no, sorry, CBF Review. Review spelled R E V U E. Dot Libsyn. Dot com. We're also on iTunes. Cool. <laughs> I'd also like to uh, print my uh, show, The Next Dimension, a Dragon Ball Z podcast. We just came up with new, two new episodes this past week. You can find us on iTunes as well as dbznextdimension.libson.com. And I, you know, write reviews for the Batman universe. I am reviewing the Batgirl title. How about that new D- uh, Dragon Ball series? Yeah, I never thought I'd live to see the day. <laughs> it was, it was, I, I woke up to like uh, my co host texting me. It was like within 30 minutes of it being announced, I was like, wow, if I was 10 years old right now, I'd probably die of shock. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is pretty cool. I, I'm interested to see where they go, because especially since the creator's involved. So, yeah. Otherwise, it'd just be GT again. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that was bad. Hey. Never saw GT. You don't have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chris, uh, I, I know you don't exactly podcast much these days, but uh, you, you wanna you wanna plug your blog or whatnot? Uh, well, I am on Twitter, uh, and if you want to hear me talk about random. Films from the 1940s that me and three other people have seen, no or be a dick about Marvel Studios. <laughs> uh, you can find me at at agent underscore three two six. Yeah, you, you you and Rio's just going back and forth. It's good times. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going there right now because I've not heard you talk about the Marvel Studios movies. Oh, hoo hoo! Yeah, wait, wait. Just 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 go ahead and go through. It, it is it is. Biting commentary. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> Biting. And Casina, uh, c- any uh, any bolts? <laughs> it's hard to find the time, my friend. I know. I know it is, dude. I know it is. But hey, hey, E three is coming up in June, so maybe maybe by then. I'm sure there will be a post E three uh, bullets. Okay. The problem is, is that Jim likes podcasting so much, uh-huh. he stood up his own goddamn YouTube channel. Ugh. So instead of talking about stuff with me, he's doing solo bits on YouTube every every other day for 10 minutes at a piece <laughs> so you know well he i gave him the bug he just didn't continue with me well r- wrangle him man wrangle him make it happen yeah I, i've been i mean I, i've got uh, i've got some video game stuff to talk about in fact you know what for fuck's sake if, if you if you want at some point we can just uh, do a bullets episode uh, just you and me talking video games we'll see if we can work that out sometime in the next we few could weeks. do that we could do that cool and uh, I wanted to say, um, even though this episode is probably going to be released uh, slightly afterwards, unless I can somehow get to it on Friday, um, <clears throat> this episode is dedicated to the memory of uh, Jamie D'Alessandro. Um, May mm-hmm. 2nd uh, is the anniversary of his, uh, of his death, and I just wanted to shoot that out there, that we're thinking about you, even a year later, Jamie. And uh, I, I wore my shirt today in your honor. And I, I am definitely going to be thinking about you uh, while online to see Avengers tomorrow, man, because I'm sure you, if you were around, you would have been there opening night to see it as well. So here's to Jamie D. We love you, man. And uh, here's to everybody enjoying comics in one way or the other in as whatever way you want to, because that's exactly what he would want. So here, here to that. All right, and this episode is sponsored by DCBS Discount Combo Service at DCBService.com. Once again, 50% off of Marvel and DC hardcovers and trades, and 40% off of Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse single issues, and bundles out the wazoo, and Comicsology storefront, all that shazam, at uh, DCBService.com. We thank them for their sponsorship. Chris, welcome back, man. 
Thank you. All right. And uh, hopefully we'll have you uh, sometime within the next four years. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> We're doing all the Marvel movies. <laughs> exactly. In fact, maybe maybe we maybe we could have you on uh, to uh, to talk about a non uh, a non Marvel movie the next time one of those comes out because I'm sure you're not going to want to talk about those. <laughs> maybe maybe once uh, AKA Jessica Jones uh, hits uh, Netflix, we'll have you back on to talk that. With the evil uh, purple David Tennant. Yes. It's too bad that I wasn't here for the two Captain America movies or Agent Carter because. Uh, then my reputation would not have to precede me. Oh, God. Did you agree with me on Agent Carter that it was entirely sexist? Uh, <laughs> no, actually. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it's one of my favorite Marvel series. Yay! Studios. Good. Uh, fuck you. Well, that's that's the, well, then we can have you on for, for maybe a Captain America Civil War, since that's also the Russos, so who fucking knows. Uh, Donovan, uh, good, good to have you back as well, man. Thank you very much, and uh, here's to renew your vows. This hope is good. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. And uh, and Casina, uh, keep that baby asleep. She's sleeping. Good. Good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the email just for comic timing is comic timing at gmail.com. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network over at comicspodcast.com and the League of Comic Book Podcasts over comicbooknoise.com slash league. Facebook.com slash comic timing for all of your comic timing conversation. And uh, it's been pretty active lately, so uh, so keep that coming, guys. It's uh, it's good to talk to you guys uh, outside of the uh, podcast itself, and uh, let us know how we're doing every now and then. And uh, yeah, that's just about it. So for Chris, for Donovan, for Brent, I mean, let us see, reminding everybody out there that there's always time for comics. I feel alone. <laughs> let me go stare at a, let me go stare at a wall for an hour. Usually have to mix it up. That, that, that's that's kind of weird. Chobani. Oh, Chobani's not bad, but that's that's kind of a weird flavor for for yogurt. I would think it'd be like lemon lime. Yeah, and not like is it like fluorescent green or? I mean, it's not as green as the label. Uh-huh. It's a pale green. Key oh key lime blended. Oh, that's better. Key lines are much softer. Chris, you need like a TCM podcast. (laughs) Maybe JCM, Johnson Classic Movies. Turner Classic Podcast. There you go. (laughs) 